It's episode 147. This is a magical episode. Now you're saying, what's so magical about episode 147? Well, I've got Hotshot Scott vacationing in Maui. This is how good Mitch Unfiltered is. Hotshot Scott is in Maui vacationing, and he told me, no way, Jose, I'm not doing the show from Maui. So I reached out to the soon-to-be unemployed, or are you not going to be unemployed? You're going to be unemployed, right? We'll find out. <laughs> as, of, as of this recording, I am scheduled to be unemployed on starting oh, on July 30th. Are you going to make an announcement here on episode one, on the magical month of no, Joe, episode no. 147? Yes. No. no, no announcements here. There is a severance check to be paid at the okay. end of this month that will be collected. I can promise you that. So I reached out. I thought, geez, this would be a great opportunity to feature Joe Fan, NBC Sports Northwest Joe Fan in a more kind of unfiltered way. Now, of course, he's a regular on Mitch Unfiltered, the Seahawks no table. We talked to Joe, we talked to Brady, but he's never been an official co-host. And I thought this was a perfect opportunity. So when Hotshot Scott said, I'm going to Maui, the first thing Mitch thought was, hey, let's reach out to Joe. Joe's probably frantically looking for jobs. He's sweltering in the heat in the Pacific Northwest, looking for gigs. He'll he'll take a break and be with us on Mitch Unfiltered. But that's not necessarily the case, is it, Joe Fan? No, it's not the case at all. It couldn't be farther <laughs> from the truth, Mitch. Like, you're not wrong. Everything that you just laid out, yeah. was, it probably was true for a time. But you yeah. know what? Yeah. We're in the month of Joe Fan. This is the and month that of means Joe. That, that, means that, that means that I'm not in Seattle. Uh, Anytime you can beat the heat in Seattle and go somewhere else uh, where there's nice, cool temperatures like Cabo, uh, you got to oh do it. Oh, my God. So let me get this straight. So first, Joe Fan is at Seahawks minicamps. And then he's announcing that his job is drying up. And then he's hosting KJR radio shows. And now he's in Cabo co-hosting Mitch Unfiltered. Is that right, the month of Joe? That sounds like we're living the dream. Yep, <laughs> it's, uh, we are on the move, sir. Uh, but the beauty of Wi-Fi is, you know, when you gave me the call and said, hey, you tapped your right arm and said, we're going to the bullpen. The bullpen. And I said, sorry, hotshot. Uh, okay, you're, you're, too, you're too big time to take a break from your vacation. I'm not too big to take a break from mine. Let's do this darn thing, okay? See, I'm in. See, Joe Fan is much more than just Seahawks, Joe. Joe fan, an NFL Joe fan. I, I view you as a versatile, as a versatile kind of sports guy and non-sports guy. I watch you on Twitter. I follow you religiously. I'm a follower on Twitter. And so I think that Joe's just got so much more to offer than just NFL, but we're going to find out over the next few few segments, aren't we? I, yes, yes, we are. You know what? It's been <laughs> funny. I've been thrown into the fire a couple of times this week. So far, we've done okay. Oh. I'm not burned yet. Oh. And, uh, and I haven't been burned by the sun, haven't been burned by going live and, and trying to, to figure out whether we can do it or not. And so this is just the next test on the list here, Mitch, and I'm ready for it. I'm ready for the Mitch Unfiltered listeners to figure out whether or not Joe Fan can talk about anything aside from the Seahawks note table. Well, last week what you're referring to is you were called into my old stomping grounds where I'm sure that you saw plastered across the hallways all my pictures up there and my signature. There's a lot of Mitch still in the KJR hallways, right? It's all over the place. <laughs> Yeah, I think it says the Mitch Levy studio. <laughs> How was was that the first time you'd ever hosted a radio show like that? You did it for a couple of days and how much fun did you have? That was the first time I've driven the bus. 
Okay. And, you know, big thank you to, to Kevin Shockey for putting his faith in me and Ian Furness for letting me pinch it on his show. Um, it was a ton of fun. Two hours was like a good amount of time. Yeah. We had a couple guests to fill some of it. But like the coming in, the intros, the out shows, the tosses, the break, nice. the, the ad reads, oh, it was fun. It was a little bit of an adrenaline rush, much like this is right now with, with you, Mitch. Uh, the nerves are going crazy, but I'm trying to control the butterflies. Uh, but it was fun. It was it was something so different. And uh, and yeah, I really enjoyed it. I had a great time. Well, I'm thrilled to have you not only as a Seahawks regular, which you'll remain, hopefully, uh, throughout the 2021 football season, but I'm I'm grateful that you would take time out of your pool and your golf residing here on Mitch Unfiltered, episode 147. I do want to say, though, here at the top, before we get too far into this and I tell you who the guests are on episode 147, Joe, I do want to shout out to my old friend and my old producer, Matt Miklas. I'm sure you're over at KJR, so you're probably aware of the news that Slickhawk, as we call him, is not working at KJR anymore. I have no idea what happened. I don't follow it. I'm certainly not tied into the inner workings of KJR. But before we start, I just wanted to say that Slickhawk was a really important part of our morning show for many years while I was there, a long, long time. I was really lucky to have him. As I said on Twitter earlier last week, I said, any success, whatever success we had in my latter years at KJR, he was a big part of that. So I don't know what's going on. I did reach out to Slick, and he said he's not ready to talk about it just yet, but I'm hoping for the best, both personally and professionally, from Matt Slickhawk Miklas, and I do want to say that at the start of 147, Joe. Now, guests, you know, we do this. Normally, you're one of the people that I promote at the beginning of these shows in the I mean, obviously, segment. I'm yeah. Joe Fan. That's why you got to tease it. Yeah, but, but... That's why people come to the show. That's right. But I, I'm not teasing you as a guest. You're not really a guest. You're a co-host yeah. this time around. You're going to take care of the, the second, you know, the as we call it, the other stuff segment, right? You've got lots of yeah. topics that are burning a hole in your pocket. But I do want to tell you who the guests are, and I'm wondering whether you know any of these three people, okay? Guest number one... You probably don't know her by name, but you may have become familiar in, let's say, the last two weeks or a month about her story. She is Tacoma native Ginny Burton. Her story is spreading like wildfire around the world, Joe. She's a 48-year-old honor student. She just graduated from the University of Washington. So far, ringing a bell at all, 48 years old, University of Washington grad. Keep going. Okay. Her mother gave her drugs at age six. She grew up in a drug-infested home in Tacoma. By 14, she was addicted to meth and crack cocaine, armed robbery. She's been shot multiple times. She's been raped multiple times, terrorized, 17 felony arrests, three stays in penitentiary and then she got out and she changed her whole life around and now she is the talk let's just put it this way the day before i interviewed her here on mitch unfiltered she had germany's largest network television network send a crew from germany to spend the day with her at her house it's just a matter of time before she becomes her story becomes a big screen film 
She's now an honor student. She's going to graduate school. It's just an amazing story. Her name is Ginny Burton, and I. it's unlike any interview that I've ever done either on Mitch Unfiltered or the radio show. So that's guest number one, and you are going to be just amazed at how articulate and how she tells the story of her life. Her life is like 50 people's lives wrapped into one. And then guest number two is Scott France. Everybody knows by now the big story last week in the world of sports was Carl Nassib of the NFL's Oakland Raiders, actually not Oakland Raiders, Vegas Raiders, becoming what, the first active gay player in the National Football League. Scott France was the first gay player, active gay player in, in big conference football many years ago while playing left tackle at Kansas State. So he has lots to say about the big story of the week in the world of sports. Carl Nassib crushed that, by the way. Not like he should have to crush it. Not like there should be like a, a judgment of how it all happens. Right, but right. I mean, it was just such a tip of the cap of like, just felt flawless of like, he was saying exactly what he felt like he needed to say. And then from there, it's like, doesn't whatever else that anyone might want to take from it doesn't matter to him. That's pretty cool. Do you plus raising awareness to a great organization? And do you love the the world's reaction to his I, announcement? Yes, I do. Yeah, I haven't. I, I mean, I'm sure there's there's plenty of unsavory responses that neither of us would want to see, and luckily I haven't. Right. Um, you know that that faction of humanity still exists, but yes, I mean the outpouring of. I think we're getting closer to where it won't matter, to where, like, you won't have to do a video. It's just going to be like, oh, yeah, all right, cool, move on to the day. His, Which is what he said in his video. His jersey was the hottest-selling NFL jersey after yeah. his announcement. Think about Not that. Not surprising. Pride Month, too. Great time. Incredible stuff. And then, and then interview number three is somebody you probably never heard of because you're too young to know who this person is. But for the people my age in our audience or somewhere around my age or older, in our audience, they remember a television show in the 70s, Joe Fan, called The Love Boat. Now, I say The Love How How old of a guy is the month of Joe these days? 31. 31. I say The Love Boat, and you probably are aware there was such a show, but have no Correct. idea what I'm talking about, right? Correct. That is, a, that is It's about the awareness I have for, like, an I Dream of Genie. Okay. Well, I Dream of Genie was actually earlier than The Love Boat. Okay. But okay. You, but you've never seen like in syndication or on re- like if I said Isaac the bartender. Yep. You not would a have clue. you would have no earthly idea who I'm talking about. I'm gonna Google him. Yeah. No. <laughs> no. <laughs> I mean, I'm sitting on my laptop. Like, all right. Let, it looks like a great Ted Lang, American actor. Lang. Like it's, it's pronounced Lange. A lot of people think Lang. It's pronounced. Lange. People forget that. It's a good. I was testing you, so you got that. You got that. See, you didn't. You did. I did. I wanted to make sure you knew, so you weren't faking it. You know. You know. Okay. Theodore William Lange. People forget his middle name is Bill. That's right. He played so, the the level. He played seventy three years old. He played. One of the most endearing characters. You're just going to have to trust me on this. He was a super popular character in the TV show The Love Boat. He's got a new movie out, and I thought, you know what? I want to talk to Isaac the bartender. I've been interviewing people for uh, 35, 30, 35 years. And for the first time, 
I was that's in, older than I've been alive, just in I, case we're doing right. math yeah, here. We can do the math. For the yeah. first time, I'm in the middle of an interview. My wife comes into the room. Are you talking to Isaac? She, she can hear because I'm so loud. Are you talking to Isaac, the bartender? I mean, I could be talking to Michael Jordan, Tiger Woods, Magic Joe Johnson, Fan, Joe Fan, nothing. Brady Henderson. As soon as I'm talking to Isaac, the bartender... From the love boat, she comes rushing in. She crashes the interview. You're going to hear her on the interview. My wife, for the first time on Mitch Unfiltered, crash the Ted Lange interview because she was so, oh, my God, I love, this is what you're missing by being so young, Joe. Oh, my God, I love Isaac the bartender. I watched him every Saturday as a kid. Do you think he's okay Like when most people know him as Isaac as opposed to Ted Lange, you, you, Lange, you, Lange, 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 Lange. Um, yep. You're going to have to listen for the answer to that question. Ooh, that's a tease right there. See, there you go. You're asking yep. questions that he was asked. Yeah. Because he's very similar to his. Anyway, those are the three interviews on episode 147. That's a heck of a show. Do they excite you? Those interviews? Absolutely. Will you? Yeah. Are you a podcast listener? Will you listen to those interviews? I am a podcast patron. So, yes, okay. I will. You will. So when I quiz you, if you come back for the Peace Show or another show someday, when I quiz you on those interviews, you're going to be able to answer. Am I going to have to provide you multiple choice uh, questions? No, you see, because on Thursday, <laughs> I've got a three and a half hour flight. And I can promise you that I know how exactly uh, how I'm going to spend that time. Uh, all right. Episode 147. Joe, before we begin episode 147, a few words from our partners like Daniel's Broiler reminding you, Wednesday is the last day to get 20% off their uber-popular old-fashioned cocktail mixer on Amazon by being a Mitch Unfiltered listener. End of June, so Wednesday. Enter the promo code MitchL20, 20% off. John Waterstrat. And Fireside Home Solutions, great partners, sponsoring our U.S. Open pool the other week, not to mention the Masters, the PGA, the NFL Beat the Boys contest, gave away cash prizes to all of them. They will be sponsoring the British Open pool that's coming. Begin your fireplace search and garage doors, too, at FiresideHomeSolutions.com. Saving money on your monthly mortgage made simple by Jordan Flowers and his team at his Kirkland office. Huge news coming from Jordan's entire team, and I can't hardly wait to spread it, but I'll keep my mouth shut for now. Unfiltered listeners are saving tons just by spending seven minutes with Jordan on the phone. 425-250-3150. Evergreen Golf Call, tax advisors, certified financial planners, experienced portfolio managers working together to bring retirement planning, taxes, and investments under one roof. EvergreenGK.com, more than just a financial advisor. Evergreen is everything wealth. And Joe Zeke's Pizza, from Tacoma to Bellingham, uniquely Northwest, with the best craft beer selection you'll find anywhere. And by the way, you can have your favorite beer and pizza delivered straight to your door by downloading the Zeke's Pizza app. I'm thrilled to have Joe Fan by my side, kind of, sort of, on this episode 147, which begins right now. Unfiltered. New golf is Bryson DeChambeau, but the problem is he's going to, I mean, he's won a lot. Okay. He's won a major. He won the U.S. Open last year. He's won some other events. He's become very popular, but he hasn't won like at an unbelievable clip to make it seem like, okay, this is the right way to go. Gotcha. Okay. He's got to win more. Okay. For it. But, but yes, 
everybody's trying to hit it as far as they can hit. Unfiltered. How many times over the last five years are you watching the play clock go oh. down to, and you're like, snap it, snap it. And they're going to get a penalty, a five-yard penalty, yeah. or they just they just snap it at the last second. How many right. times yeah. over the years? out, maybe. If Shane Waldron does nothing but change that, I'll be happy. <laughs> I don't even care if they win any games. Right. Mitch is unfiltered. Episode 147 is now officially underway. It wasn't officially underway, Joe Fan, the month of Joe in Cabo, Mexico. The first segment was kind of our warm-up segment. So we were just kind of tossing the ball around, figuring out what's to come now, and the pressure's on. Now we're in the pressure cooker. The show is officially underway, okay? I'm ready. Are you ready? Ready for me to throw some some stories at you? Can you help me with who? Because you did KJR last week. Who is Dave Hackstall? Dave Hackstall. How about a fun first day hosting a show? Uh, Interviewed CEO Todd Liwicki about Dave Hackstall. Learned all about him. Yeah. I mean, this is a guy who's been all over. And uh, what you learn about him, went to North Dakota, high-profile hockey player, didn't end up making it to the NHL, but coached there for 11 years. And... Uh, as GM Ron Francis and CEO Todd Liwicki will explain it, he could have stayed in that job and been a legend larger than life in the collegiate hockey world forever. Arguably paid more than some of the NHL coaches. Uh, he gets an opportunity with uh, the Flyers. Dude, there's some Pete Carroll parallels here. Really? I mean, w- minus the USC fame and glory days. The, 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 the span of job one and job two in the NHL are much closer together. But this is a second hire. This is his second job. He's coming from the Maple Leafs where he was an assistant. He's now the head coach of the Kraken. Would say that that experience with the Flyers served him well. From what we gather, what I have gathered, again, and this is a guy, I didn't know his name until it was announced Thursday morning. Most people... I had him in the pool. Yeah, you did. You had been telling me for months, Mitch. I had him that in the pool. That you say, watch out for this dark horse, Dave Haxtell, to be hired. I'm a, huge, I'm a huge hockey guy, Joe. I'm a huge hockey guy. And about eight months ago, a, bu- a couple of buddies and I put a bunch of money in a pool. And you, you got like two or three coaches, possibilities as who the first coach of the crack. And I, 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 you know, my first choice, my first overall choice was Dave Haxtell. What's the craziest part about it to me, because like his whole story and then like what he wants, he wants a yeah. team that's tough and yeah. works hard. And he, yeah. he threw out all the cliches and seems like a good dude. And him and Ron Francis are arm in arm, ready to go after this thing. Expansion draft is July 21st. Entry draft is July 23rd. So it's all going to start snowballing here pretty quickly. But the fact that it was such a surprise, no one had this guy on their radar from everything I can gather, which can you imagine that parallel, whether it's in baseball, basketball, or football, that doesn't happen. You don't see the like, the one comparison I could make was John Lynch being hired by the Niners where that was, I mean, I was working for them at the time and they had interviewed 20 plus candidates for that job. Not one was John Lynch. I was on a plane um, it was a Sunday. It was during the Pro Bowl, and it got announced during the Pro Bowl. I'm watching it on my little monitor in my in the, the headrest in front of me, and I've got like the you know, I got texts. On some airlines allow you can text. You see on the ticker that Jay Glazer announces John Lynch is the next the next GM of the 49ers, and you're thinking that can't be the same guy, right? Like there's got to be another John Lynch, and sure enough, it's you know now future Hall of Famer, about to be Hall of Famer. John Lynch, but there's just not many secrets in sports anymore. So that, to me, was the most interesting part of it. 
Here's the problem with that. I was thinking about this the other day when I heard his name or read his name for the first time. I, I don't know that there would have been any person that they could have hired that I would have ever heard of. I mean, he li- li- literally, I, I don't know. Uh, Wayne Gretzky. I would have heard of Wayne Gretzky if he was the first coach of the Seattle Kraken. So it doesn't mean it do- doesn't mean anything. None of this means anything to me. It wasn't Herb Brooks, so I'm mean, that's that's out. He, I'm out the window. That's right. He's the Olympics guy, Herb Brooks. Yeah, he's yeah. a miracle on ice. And yep. the only reason I know who Herb Brooks is is because there was like a video of a kid who did a speech. Do you ever see that like years yes. ago? Yes. <laughs> He's dressed up in like the suit and tie just the same. That's the only reason I know who Herb Brooks is. And now every listener. This of is Mitch, your time. Mitch, 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 go out there and take it. Every Mitch Unfiltered patron that's listening to this right now is saying, okay, Mitch, you got a lot of work to do yeah. on, the, on the Kraken because we care. Yeah. We want you to talk about. I have to learn about the Kraken. You know what offsides is, Mitch? You know what icing is? Yeah, I, is it the same thing? Is icing and offsides no, the same thing? No, no, okay, very okay, different okay. Things. Well, okay. So icing is when you toss the puck, the puck ahead, right? The puck when goes, it goes across, across three the, lines. Yes, three lines, and then offsides is a player, an offensive player, can't go across a line before a puck gets there or something. And what line something is that? Li- what color is that? Blue. Line? I'm gonna guess blue. Yeah, there we go. Okay, you're selling yourself short. <laughs> That's pretty good. You know hockey, Joe, huh? I peripherally. Okay. I, I've always really enjoyed the sport. My issue is that I, I don't follow regular season hockey because I just if you don't have a vested interest, I just yeah, I don't I just don't care. But at the Stanley Cup playoffs, I mean, there's not a more tense, dramatic theater in sports, arguably. Now, it's tremendous. So, do you watch the the playoffs? Because I read a story that I got, I kind of got a kick out of, though I have not seen one hockey playoff game. Did, did Quebec play the Vegas Knights? Montreal Canadiens. Oh, no. Montreal Canadiens. That's right. Montreal yeah. Canadiens played the Vegas Knights in, like, the semifinals of the whole thing, right? The conference final. Conference Correct. championship. And they are going to their first Stanley Cup finals in 28 years. Did you see the shenanigans that the Vegas team pulled on the Montreal Canadiens? Canadian Lay's Habs fans were not very happy with this month of Joe. Not very oh. happy at all. So oh. ap- apparently, Celine Dion, I know she's on your... Who is tremendous. I love Celine Dion. You have Dion. a lot of her music on your phone right now. I'm a that. big fan of Celine Dion. I know Dion. you're a big fan of Celine Dion. All-time great voices. She apparently is from Montreal and is a huge, lifelong fan of the Canadians. But she did these residences... She in made Vegas. her home in Vegas yeah. for many, many years. She yep. was in Vegas as the a fans hockey have, fan. The fans have seen Celine Dion in Vegas. Okay, the fans have seen Celine Dion in Vegas. During this highly stressful, important playoff series, the Vegas Knights put Celine Dion on the big screen in Vegas Knights headgear and shirts and like she's like the, the, the biggest fan of the Vegas Knights. And it turns out they photoshopped it all. Ooh. Of course, she's a lifelong fan of Les Habs, or however you say that, the Montreal Canadiens. And so nobody was pleased. We had Canadian fans were like, she's a traitor. And she's like, say, wait a second. I didn't even, I didn't even do that picture. They, they, they photoshopped. I mean, all kinds of shenanigans between Montreal and Vegas. You don't get that in the NFL, Joe. No, that's a bold move. <laughs> having, being, having, having experience working in 
multiple professional football organizations. Granted, the ones I worked for are more buttoned up than certainly that would be. And, and maybe there's NHL teams that are a little bit more lax, certainly the NBA more lax, but that's bold. But I kind of like it. Why not? I kind of dig it. Uh, like, just stir the pot a little bit. Although, you know, the, the Habs got the last laugh. So, did they that's win? Good. Did Montreal- I hadn't heard that. They did. They won in game six. Okay. okay. The, I'm the, glad the, the Golden Knights are gone. It's going to be the Lightning going for a repeat okay. against the Montreal Canadiens. Okay. But the Vegas Knights did win the Stanley Cup or got to the Stanley Cup final in their first they year. They got to right? the Stanley Cup final their first year. They haven't yeah. won it. Okay. Thankfully for the Kraken, God. that would be a bar. Damn, Joe is versatile. He's first. So I, if I asked you about David DeCastro, the potential of the Seahawks bringing Bellevue High School all-pro guard David DeCastro back now that he's officially available, you'd say what to me, Joe? I don't think it's going to happen. It sounds like he needs another operation on his ankle. It sounds like he's mulling over retirement. I don't think he's a, a player who Seahawks fans should be hoping might be their savior for Ethan Posich. Certainly not at guard. They don't have a spot there. But at center, if they were thinking that he might be the the August, the mid-August signee yeah. to those who are, are 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 worried about Ethan Postich or Kyle Fuller snapping the ball to Russell Wilson, I don't see it. Are we sure Gabe Jackson is good? Yeah. We're positive we're sure. about we're positive. We're not gonna be doing the Seahawks note table in the middle of the year, and I'm gonna be busting your chops because Gabe Jackson is giving up sack after sack and not blocking anybody, and I'm wondering why we thought he was so good during the offseason. You sure that conversation is not gonna take place on Mitch Unfold? Well, you, Mitch, prom- you promise? Mitch, yeah. You said good. You didn't say so good. <laughs> you said is Gabe Jackson good? And I said we're sure of that. Okay. So if you're gonna give me a hard time in, in October because okay. he's not so good. Okay. I'm going to I'm going to go full lawyer on you and say, well, let's look at the fine print. Let's look at the transcripts. Okay. Yes, we're sure he's good. Okay. No David DeCastro in Seattle. You don't see that happening. No. What are the storylines for this episode 147? Is there anything? I know we're going to talk about everything but Seahawks, but are there any other like Joe fan storylines? Richard Sherman still looking for a job. The Seahawks still have questionable cornerbacks. I'm still wondering if they've got anybody who can cover anybody in 2021. Should we continue to, to keep an eye on Sherman or is that now? No, we're not. I think you can I th- keep an eye, but yeah. nothing's imminent. I don't think there's anything there that, that Seahawks fans should be spending their, their summer on the edge of their seats, refreshing their Twitter feed, hoping that something goes down. I think there are enough fun random. I mean, how about Kevin Durant? Don't get in his crosshairs because he will absolutely oh. torch you. Oh. Or can you imagine being the woman that – that toppled the entire Tour de France. Was it a woman? I thought it, I thought it was a man who did was it. Was it a man? Yeah, it was it a man was, or a woman? I saw oh on my Twitter there a woman with a sign. Oh my god! Whomever the you, person. Do you know what who, the sign said? Had, do you know what the sign said? Let's see how good you really are, month of Joe. Do you know what the sign said? What did it? I read it this morning. It and says. I, I don't, I it didn't says it. in my favorite German accent. It says Alice O P O me. Alles translates Alles O P O me. Go grandma and grandpa. (laughs) I swear. I swear. I really hope grandma and grandpa are just so proud and so thrilled because that's a moment. You know what that's sort of like? It's sort of like the the folks in in San Diego last year who had the, the gender reveal party that they just... They decided to go too big and involve pyrotechnics. Next thing they know, oh, they God. set like 
acres and counties on fire and it becomes this huge national storyline like this whole like the 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 intentions were innocent we just wanted to announce we were having a boy we just wanted to say hi to grandma and grandpa next thing you know you're going viral for all the wrong reasons oh my god how how many cyclists went down for the people who don't know what we're talking about let's let's take a step okay yeah we We got to reset you and i both saw saw the, the the footage of this is unbelievable so it's a big cardboard sign, and I kid you not, it says Ales Opiomi. I don't know if I'm doing it right. Ales Opiomi, which is Good enough for German me. for go grandma and go grandpa. <laughs> what a wholesome and, message. And either the male or the female, maybe there was one on both sides, had this cardboard sign at the Tour de France. They moseyed out onto the road just enough to catch, to clip one of the cyclists, and everybody knows at the beginning of a race, when one cyclist goes, and I don't, I don't mean to laugh, but when one cyclist goes down, how many went down? I think we can laugh. Can't we laugh? Why can't oh, we? We can laugh. God. How many went we down? Laugh. How many went it, down? It must have been 40. <laughs> 40 or 50. I mean, it was a full dominoes. You see, like, the the big, like, oh. like, dominoes things that people spend days and days setting up where you start a chain reaction and it all goes crazy. I mean, that was... It starts with one and it fans out to the oh. entire. It's called a peloton, the group, the, the major cluster of cyclists. Okay. And uh, it was extraordinary. I had, I actually, I didn't know that there was a shout out to grandma and grandpa, but yeah. the fact that I know that now <laughs> makes me feel so much better about it. You know, I saw a tweet once upon a time. It's not a new tweet, but I ever, I think about it every time I see something like that, or you see someone on on social media put their foot in their mouth or whatever, and yeah. and you think. Every day on Twitter, there's a main character, and your goal is to never be that main character. Because it's just, yeah, it's just usually you did something silly, and the whole world knows about it now. And, but shout out to Grandma and Grandpa, because I'm sure they're. So I, I need you to define silly for me. Like, it seems like every other week, there's a baseball fan who catches a foul ball with a beer. That, that seems like I've, I think I've seen that video. About eight or ten different people. In Did you see the dude? At, it was a it was a Texas. I think it was a Texas fan drinking a beer out of his shoe. Yes, yes. It was like, a come on. It was at the college baseball. Yeah, 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 yeah. So is that does that count as a goofy? I mean, is that a, is that an admirable thing if you catch a ball with a beer at a major league baseball game, or is that what it's you're, more is admirable that what you're, than what you're talking? It's more about? admirable than taking out the entire peloton at the Tour de France. Okay. Tour de France. How about the guy, the naked guy who ran onto the field? Did you see him a couple of weeks ago at the Washington Nationals game? We talked about that. Scott gets a big kick out of that image. Did you see that one when he runs onto the tarp? He's completely naked. I mean, not a stitch of clothing. Good for him. And he starts doing the slip and slide. Did you ever have a slip and slide as a kid? Do you even know what a slip and slide is? Oh, absolutely. I know what a slip and slide is. I don't have the confidence to go in my birthday suit. You know, I'm more body self-conscious than that. But good for him. when, When you say the streaker, I think of the... Par 513 at the U.S. Open, the guy who just took yeah. a couple balls out there and said, you know what, I'm going to go take some hacks. Yeah, that might have been you. That been, that he, had a be- he, had, he had a better swing than I did. He, had a pretty, he was pure in those irons into the, into the valley. After all, it is the month of Joe, and maybe you just wanted to play at the U.S. Open on, on number 13. I've played tour before, and it destroyed me. So. I know you have. I know you yeah. have. Now, it was like last year or two years ago. Yeah. Let me get let me get in a little Mariners stuff before we uh, head to the three interviews and then we'll come back. I got a number of different other little things that I think are interesting. I know you've got some things you want to talk about on the other stuff segment at the end of this episode 147. But real quickly, 
You know, the Mariners entered the history, but they're, they're a hot team, first of all, seven out of nine. I think as, as of the recording of this episode, 147, the Mariners are three games over 500, probably with smoke and mirrors, but they are three games over 500. So we'll tap them on the back for that. They went into the history books on Sunday, the first pitcher in the history of Major League Baseball to be ejected from a game because of the foreign substance rules. The new foreign substance rules is a Seattle Mariner. So for those of you that say we never see the Seattle Mariners entering the history books, here you go. Hector Santiago was thrown out of the game against the White Sox, one of the two games on Sunday, for having a substance that he says, Joe, was just sweat mixed with rosin. Rosin and sweat on my glove. They, they saw something sticky in the palm of his glove, and they said, hit the showers, and now he could be fine. He could be suspended for 10 games. All hell is going to break loose. And he said, look, you can take my glove to the uh, – they took his glove away. You can send it to scientists. You're going to find that what was in the middle of my glove was a mixture of sweat and rosin. Yeah, I mean, I remember when Rafael Palmeiro's was like, I don't, never took steroids. I don't know what we're talking about. So we've seen the denial story in baseball oh, a number of you times. Don't believe, you don't believe your favorite Mariner, Hector Santiago. Is that what my you're favorite Mariner. People forget that he's my favorite Mariner. <laughs> Mariner legend, Hector Santiago. Watch your mouth, Mitch. Don't put any disrespect uh, on his name. I'm just saying, I, I don't know. I, nor do I really care. I'm not losing sleep over any of this story because it's all been happening for so long. And it's like baseball finally got pushed to a point where it's public enough to like, all right, I guess we, we should actually enforce the rules in our game that exist. Mm-hmm. So this is our move. Now, pitchers are upset are upset, and they're incredulous about it. Like, how dare you look at our gloves, even though we've all been cheating for years. Right. It's all kind of silly. The baseball, that's just another silly saga that baseball is too far behind trying to clean up. And so I, I have no idea. I'm not going to say that I think he's guilty. You know, we're innocent until proven, until proven guilty. But my logic tells me that they didn't outlaw rosin and it's been hot all over this country. I would imagine if it was just that some other pitcher at some point over this last week, that would have popped up. So we'll see. I happen to know, by the way, that you're a Mariners fan. And I happen to know that in this, the month of Joe, you've been at Mariners games because I've seen on social media your pictures. Yeah, because you finally followed me, which is big news. I'm like one of 30 that you follow. It's an honor. Now, the the guy that you didn't see at the Mariner game that you attended was all-everything prospect Jared Kelnick. Is he still all-everything prospect yes. Jared Kelnick? And I do I'm wanna, not losing faith. Do, do you follow him? Are you one of the guys that would, like me, look up the Tacoma Rainiers box score to see how Jared Kelnick's been doing since he was demoted from the Mariners back to Tacoma? Or are you one of these guys that will see it on social media and, hmm, that's interesting, but won't go search out box scores? Because I've got some information for you if you're the latter. I will keep tabs on it. I won't look a day-by-day box score up. Okay. Jared Kelnick, we're, we're recording this on a Sunday, episode 147, to be released on a Monday. The previous Thursday, so last Thursday and Friday, he played two games, Joe Fan, in Tacoma. He had 11 plate appearances. He came to the plate 11 times in two games. He was six for nine with two walks. Six hits in two games, two singles, a double, a triple, two homers, two walks, seven RBIs, and five runs scored in two games 
of AAA Tacoma for Jared Koenig. And I do want to bring that up because I was I was making fun of him when he couldn't get a hit for the Mariners like everybody else was, and he was 0 for the world. So I, I, I feel a responsibility. I feel an obligation now that he's had two incredible games back-to-back last week to bring up the stats. Does it do anything for you? No, no, because <laughs> not to diminish it, but this is this is an all-world prospect. The Mariners haven't had a prospect like this since A-Rod. This is a guy who is, like you said, this all-everything prospect who doesn't really have a blemish on his scouting report. There isn't, which I think for me is why I'm not super concerned by what's it, 0 for 38, 0 for 39 is going to yeah, come back yeah, to. Yeah, yeah. I'm not worried about that because there wasn't anything in his in his scouting report that said, this, 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 but. There was no but with him. I mean, he was genuinely... Oh, there was one but. There was what one was but. The one but was when he comes up for the first time, he's going to go over 39. That was the, that was the, okay. that, that was the They one. did put that. I, I forgot that line in the scouting report on okay. Baseball America. Okay. I was going through my Baseball America <laughs> perspective thing. Okay. Uh, so he'll, he'll figure it out. Yeah, he wasn't Fernando Tatis. He wasn't... Uh, you know, Vlad Guerrero Jr. even went through some of his struggles um, and then is now, what, leading the league in home runs. Is going to be an all-star. So I'm not concerned about him. I wouldn't want to see him struggle in AAA, but I wasn't expecting him to struggle in AAA. He's just too good. So okay. this so is what I expected. He'll be back at some point. He okay. will be fine. Okay. He's just too good not to. Also, like you look at like a Dustin Ackley, who was another you know, second overall pick, flamed out. He's gonna make it. Uh, it's I, just a matter of time on Dustin Ackley. Just stay I with just it. believe I believe in the like the, he's Jared Kellenick has the perfect amount of arrogance. He 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 knows he's the an shit. absolute star. He, he's the shit. The shit. Yeah. yeah, it's Mitch unfiltered. We can yeah. say that. Yeah, yeah. Uh, he knows he's the shit. He got humbled a bit, but he's not someone who's going to put his tail between his legs and say, "Oh no, oh no, maybe." Maybe this isn't my thing. So I'm not worried about it. It's great he's doing well. I love the numbers you just rattled off. But it's sort of like Taylor Trammell went down and, and lit it up. And he did have a couple of home runs uh, in that big win yep. on Sunday, yep. which is great. But you know what I mean? And until you can hit big league pitching, I, I don't really care what's happening See, in the minor yeah. leagues. Most it's people the same are thing with, yeah, people it's are the like same you. thing with Evan yeah, White. Yeah, Believe me, you're in the, the vast majority. Are you not? Are you no, not in that no, vast majority? No, I get excited. Like, like when I... I checked but the, you set yourself up to be disappointed. I do. I do. I, I'm a baseball fan. I love keeping track of prospects in, in the so, minor leagues. I will literally, well, I guess Julio Rodriguez is now, you know, playing Olympic baseball or whatever. But, but I will literally go to MILB.com. I have the, uh, the thing on my, the app on my phone. The thing, you'll yep. be, you'll be you'll be surprised to know. Even in my fifties, I have the Milb app on my phone, and I I'm the type of guy who will literally look at the Tacoma Rainiers box score every single night and get excited when Can I, I tell see you who like I'm more excited about than Kellenick? Cal Raleigh. Yeah. Is that how you say? I'm his excited. Name? He's raking. Yeah. Yeah. I'm excited to see catcher, him. Catcher of the future. You hope so. It'd yeah. be a big bummer if he wasn't. Yeah. By the way, you know, you brought up two of the great young power hitters and the great young names in Major League Baseball in your spiel. Dustin Ackley? No, no. He, no. But, but he's going to pop. Just, just give it time. He's going to pop. Just give it yeah. time. Give it time. You brought up two very interesting names. You brought up Guerrero Jr. when you were talking about the struggles of Jared Kelnick. And you also brought up Fernando Tatis. You said, okay, he's no Tatis yet and whatever, whatever you said. You know, those two guys, their names are in the news 
in the last week that I actually have on my list to talk to you about. They are the, I love that. They are the two. Pre- That's a great segue by me. They, they, so it makes me a great co-host. <laughs> they are the two preeminent young baseball power hitters, but both of them did something very disappointing, at least to me. To you, you probably don't care, and most people don't care. But the oh, no. two of them have something in common. They did something disappointing to me, and that is bat flip. They said no thank you to the home run derby. The two mm. best young power hitters and the two most interesting names, young names, in all of Major League Baseball, Guerrero Jr. and Tatis, both said no thank you to the home run derby at All-Star Weekend. And that I makes think me they sad. get outs. Huh? I think they get outs. Vlad did it last year. Did he win? Who won last year? I don't Someone's think, defending they didn't their even crown. Ha- they, didn't even have a home, they didn't even have an All-Star oh, two, game. Two years ago. Yeah, Sorry. I don't know. He came up like when he was like quite literally still in AAA, and yeah, they were like, this yeah. guy is such a phenom. We need him in the, in the yeah. home run derby. Yeah. Uh, and Tatis has been dealing with a shoulder injury. He's got like a, a, like a torn labrum or I'm something. I'm sure. In shoulder. I'm sure. I don't, I, I don't follow it that closely. You know who is in it, though? Who's in it? Shohei Otani. Yes, he is. That's going to be a show. But think about the show. No buts. Otani and Tatis. He's going to be the MVP of the league. Tatis, Otani, Guerrero Jr. It had the makings of one of, uh, of one of the most interesting home run derbies ever, Joe. If those two guys, I'll, those I'll two guys, I need those two guys in there. That's all. I need those. Two I'll guys give you that. There. Okay. I can't wait all to right. see Shohei Otani in it. All right. Let's do three guests on this episode 147. We've got Joe Fan in the month of Joe, live or kind of live, live on tape, live on recorded, uh, from Cabo. Mexico, where he's playing golf and swimming in the ocean and sitting by the pool and and drinking whatever you're drinking. What are I learned you drinking? What a, I learned what a Miami Vice is here today, here on Sunday. I don't know here what that today. is. Today, Sunday. I don't know what that Only is. Recording. It is it is a half strawberry daiquiri and a half pina colada put together. It's called a Miami Vice. Do you know that? Highly there, recommend. Do you know there was a TV show? Or yeah, do not go yeah. down that road. We're, yeah. back, we're back to 70s television with Joe Fan, age, yeah. age 18. I, we're going to be on I Love Lucy here soon. <laughs> oh, dear. Episode 147, three guests, and then we'll come back with the other stuff segment. Boy, are restaurants getting busier these days, including one very special to me, Daniel's Broiler. Now for a second reason, movie mogul Max is actually bussing tables for the summer at the Bellevue location. Lindsay Schwartz, the CEO, is with us. Forward momentum, Lindsay. Doing great, yeah. Business is, is much better. It's picking up every week with the vaccinations, with the warm weather. Uh, it's really nice to see. It's been a long year or even longer, oh. and, and it's starting to feel like things are getting back to normal again for sure. You can say that again. I don't know much about alcohol and beverages, but you guys have had some kind of unexpected success with a mixer that you're now bottling and selling on Amazon. Explain this to me and what you have for Mitch Unfiltered listeners. What kind of an option? Yeah, well, during the pandemic, when the restaurants were shut down for a while and then obviously limited capacity, we wanted to find a way for people to have the Daniels experience at home. And we obviously did take out and delivery. But we also launched an old-fashioned cocktail mixer on Amazon. It's been unbelievable the success that we've had, wow. not just locally, but nationally. So it's, our, it's the same old-fashioned cocktail that you get in our restaurants. 
12-ounce bottle <laughs> on Amazon of the mixer. It'll make 17 drinks when you mix with whiskey. Okay. Uh, normally, it's a $17 price point. And uh, for Mitch Unfiltered listeners, we're doing a 20% off Ooh. promotion. So what you do in the promo line, you put in Mitch L20 to get your 20% off. So M-I-T-C-H-L-20. And that'll get you the the discount. Wow. I get $3.40 off of a $17 item. And I can make there you go, man. I can make 17 drinks with that. I'm loving it. Mitch L20 on the Amazon code, right? When you do it on Amazon.com. That's right. Okay. That's right. Perfect. There it is. Where would Mitch Unfiltered be? Not very far, as I say, without my sponsors, including Daniels Broiler, who's been by my side for every step of the way back in the radio days, and now Mitch Unfiltered. We love Daniels Broiler, a world-class steakhouse. Unfiltered. When I look at the photos, it's almost unbelievable. It's like it's another person that I'm looking at. What it means to me is that I feel like I've proven to myself I'm done with the cycles and the patterns that have been so destructive in my life that I have become a different person, that I am the person that I always was in my heart but didn't think I was ever going to be able to become. You know, when we started the Mitch Unfiltered Project in 2018, it was a sincere goal of mine to feature real people, not just from the sports world, that have emotional, inspirational stories to share with us. And we've been lucky to be exposed to so many. I'm not sure, and I'm serious about this, that I've ever been moved as much as I have from becoming familiar with our next guest journey. It's an honor to welcome into Mitch Unfiltered, Ginny Burton. Hi, Ginny. Hi, Mitch. How are you? I'm okay. I know you've been flooded with interviews and are probably tired about talking about yourself and all that stuff. How have you, have you found a way to enjoy all of these opportunities to inspire others? Um, I think, uh, gosh, that's a really great question. Um, I definitely find space for myself in each day. And, uh, and I would have to say, yeah, I've enjoyed the opportunity to engage with so many people um, because I, I, in those processes, get the opportunity to ask people about themselves. And you're very right. I get tired of talking about me. Um, but in the process, again, I, I do take the time to try to find out who I'm talking to. Ginny, you even had a TV crew. A little birdie told me that you had a TV crew from Germany come all the way to your home this week here in the Pacific Northwest. Is that right? Yeah, that is correct. So RTL is, I, I guess, the biggest news media outlet in Germany. And wow. they were so taken by my story that they came and we spent the entire day yesterday filming. Wow. It was a lot of work. It will end up on the big screen. This this story that we're going to tell our listeners will end up on the big screen. A 48-year-old graduate of the University of Washington. That has a really nice ring to it, doesn't it? It's a little interesting, yeah, but I guess so. I'm getting used to it. <laughs> Recipient, <laughs> recipients of mu multiple scholarships, a degree in poli-sci, and graduate school at UW in the fall. But it was a, a weird journey, to say the least, a winding, unlucky, unfortunate journey to get here, Ginny. 
Yeah, I, I would definitely agree with that description. But I also think, you know, standing where I'm at and looking back now, I, I also think that the journey was really necessary. Um, I have gotten the opportunity to really take a look at the experience that I've gained through my trauma and troubles and um, recognize the, oh gosh, what word do I want to use? I get to recognize the amount of compassion that I've gained because of my own story for the people that I'm getting the opportunity to serve. So I, I almost really think that it, it was necessary in order for me to move forward to try and make the changes that I want to make. Did you ever, I'm sure you did at some point, and do you still resent the fact that you were, I mean, when you really think about it, and you're going to tell the story, we're going to tell the story to our listeners, but when you really think about it, this is just the case of, of bad luck and what you were brought into this world around. Do you have resent for that, or do you have compassion for How do you get your arms around that at age 48? I honestly can't call it bad luck, Mitch. Uh, if you take a look at my life right now, I mean, was it bad luck, or was it just hard times? I mean... I think that there definitely have been times in my past where I felt resentful and pretty angry at God, you know, or if there was a God or is a God or, you know, I mean, who knows really what happens after we go, right? But I definitely um, have had anger and resentment, but where I'm at in my life today is uh, I'm really grateful for every bit of it. I definitely wouldn't suggest it. I wouldn't recommend it for anybody, you know, going down these crazy kind of uh, spiraling paths that I've been down. But, um, but I, I really believe that in order for me to make monumental changes for, you know, in a lot of areas in our world right now, I think that my experience is necessary. So I'd say that I'm grateful for it. Mm. What a great outlook. Let me delicately ask you to tell your story because so many of our uh, listeners and our audience don't know it just yet. Born in 1972 in Tacoma to parents who had more than just small problems with drugs. You were one of seven from mom, but really in your youth, you didn't have much of a chance. Tell us. Yeah, I mean, I, I didn't, and I don't know that I actually recognized that until I was about 40 years old when my youngest child was six, and uh, then I had the realization to, because that's how old, well, it was actually 1979, so my timeline gets a little fuzzy. There was a lot of drug use there, right, a lot of trauma, a lot of abuse, and so, but I, I actually believe I was about seven when I when I first started consenting to using drugs, and, and not necessarily willingly, however, it was being introduced to me by my mom, and uh, my dad was in prison. She had remarried this guy that was terribly abusive. And uh, we were just really living in a chaotic environment, me, my brothers and sisters and I. And um, so, you know, but back to 40 when I was sitting in a jail cell looking at my fourth prison sentence because of a lack of control, you know, with addiction, um, I got the opportunity to really like sort of consider my, my daughter's intellectual abilities, right? And and compare where she is at to where I was at and the expectations I had on myself, because I really blamed myself for a lot of things um, that I was incapable of, of uh, managing or navigating at the age of six. And so, yeah, I, I, 
I really didn't have a chance. My, none of my brothers and sisters really had a chance. A few of us made it out a little bit better than some of the rest of us, but we definitely all came out with psychological problems. But there was just a tremendous amount of abuse and neglect. Uh, mom, you know, in and out of tremendous amount of relationships. Um, the majority of the people that she was involved with were, you know, emotionally or physically abusive. Um, they were all addicted. Uh, we never stayed in one place for more than a year. By the time I was in the sixth grade, my life spiraled out of control. At about fourth grade, I had a dream of becoming an attorney. But by the time I was in the sixth grade, I was already using hard drugs. And so um, you know, seventh and eighth grade didn't really happen in a linear fashion. And uh, my behavioral problems at that point were just completely out of control. Uh, when I was in elementary school, I was you know, tested as gifted at very young, and I was in Excel programs. But because of the abuse, neglect, and drug use, that all just everything sort of was out of whack by the time I was a teenager. And, and I left home uh, at about the age of 15, and I was already a crack smoker and, you know, an avid meth user by that time. And, um, you know, and then throughout, you know, the rest of my years up until I was about 38 years old, my mom was my crime partner, my drug partner. Uh, we were in prison together two times. Um, the majority of folks in my in my family, uh, my siblings and, and whatnot, um, chemically addicted, uh, whether it was alcohol or drugs, and a number of us have been in and out of jail and prison. And it was just really a chaotic chaotic existence and one that was pretty normal to me. But by the time I was, uh, I think I was 23, the first time I went to prison, uh, it was in 1996. And so it was right before I, I turned 24 and um, I was tired. I was tired. And, and each time I was incarcerated, I, you know, started to wake up internally a little bit more. And even though I didn't necessarily have the skill set to navigate my way out of it, because I continuously ended up in the same environment upon release. Um, I did make progress each time. And uh, eventually, you know, I was able to get and stay clean, which uh, was about eight and a half years ago. And I just made some commitments. I was done. I surrendered. And, wow. you know, I made the decision to stop destroying my life. I recognize it. I could be saved and, and that I was my own savior, that nobody else was going to do it. And so, you know, here we are yeah. eight and a half years later, like with just a really different reality. Drugs, guns, robbery. I think you were raped. Obviously the jail. M multiple times. Yeah. The jail. Is all of this very clear in your memory or are there huge chunks of your childhood that you don't remember? And the second part of that question, Ginny, and I ask this really delicately, um, did you want to live when you were 15, 16, 17, 18, or did you want to die? Yeah, so, yes, all of those things are uh, accurate. Uh, multiple rapes, um, some at gunpoint, lots of lots of abuse. At the age of 15, I think I thought I was invincible. Um, I sort of recognized that drugs gave me an escape, and when I decided to leave home, I, I had autonomy in ways that I hadn't before, and I had power in my own life. The unfortunate problem was that I had become my mom in a number of ways, so I was addicted, and I, so I was imprisoned by that, but I had absolutely no idea, and so... Um, but as we moved forward, um, you know, 18, I had my son, his father was shot and killed, uh, 19, um, my, the guy that I was with prior to my son's dad had gotten out of prison and, uh, abuse started in there. And so that's when the thoughts of suicide really, really started. And, you know, eventually just spiral, spiraling out of control in my life. 
and losing custody of my kids. And then the self-hatred really started. And yeah, I mean, I just, I was fine with dying by suicide or homicide. Any way you shook it was totally fine with me. How'd you survive it? Uh, you know, that's a good question. I don't necessarily know in some regards. Uh, there were a number of different things that happened in my life. In 1997, I was shot. I shot someone else. I woke up in the hospital. I was really angry that I was alive. I was shot in my femoral artery. I have had a number of uh, intentional overdoses where I attempted suicide. And every time somebody, you know, either saved me by keeping me alive on their own or taking me to the hospital and I would wake up in ICU very angry. So I, I don't literally know how I survived because I gave it my best shot. Um, but you know, I believe that there's a higher purpose and that it didn't really have anything to do with me that kept me, you know, going. And I sat through it because I recognized that I'm never successful. I am literally never successful anytime I try to off myself. And I knew that if I tried to overdose because I'm I don't carry guns. I don't do those kind of things anymore. And I'm pretty sure that if I tried to shoot myself, I'd probably live through it and be very unhappy with the results. So, and then if I were to try to overdose, I would uh, probably just get a dirty UA and not die. And then I'd have to spend that miserable time in prison around people I didn't want to be around. So I just, I just stuck it out and I pushed through and, I did a lot of meditating the last time I felt suicidal since I've been clean this time. And I haven't felt that way again. I haven't felt that way again. And, and I made a commitment really to just live, it, which meant that I had to sort of make the opposite decision as to what my brain would tell me, you know, when, when presented with a problem or a feeling that felt too big to manage. Um, you know, the first thought that came to my mind was usually a patterned thought. It was usually something that I was familiar with acting out on. And, and so I had to either a ask for, you know, help on how to navigate something, you know, that was opposite of that thought or, or really sort of try to figure out, you know, what the opposite was on my own. And, and, and that process has worked out for me. Um, and it's allowed me to get a whole bunch of days in a row where I, haven't put any mood-changing, mind-altering substances in my body. And then, um, you know, and, and in doing that, I've gained a skill set that's helped me to navigate the world a lot differently and uh, put one foot in front of the other and tackle challenging obstacles in a way that have helped me really excel. You're beautifully articulate. You're a beautiful human being. 17 felony convictions. How do you handle yes. or not handle the flashbacks and the nightmares that you must have on a some on a somewhat regular basis, Ginny. Yeah, well, it's really accurate. Uh, I definitely have flashbacks, and I definitely have nightmares, and I do have 17 felony convictions. Even though I think some of those are going to change, which I don't really care about one way or the other, uh, because of the new Blake ruling. But when I am triggered, uh, depending on you know in my waking time, you know during the day, if I'm triggered by an event. Um, that brings stuff up from my past. If it really affects me, one of the things I do is I call someone in recovery and I talk about it. Mm -hmm. uh, if something, if I come across something, for example, when I was working in social services and clients would blow a crack hit in my face because I would catch them smoking crack in the bathroom or, or what have you, which by the way, I loved crack cocaine for a really long time. Um, and those smells can be triggering. Whether or not I felt triggered, I would always call someone and talk about it. I would, I just started making my secrets 
come out into the light, which was very helpful for me to be able to um, stay clean. And then, um, you know, in regards to the nightmares, I do. I dream at least three to four times a week. I, I would say I have drug dreams where I'm using or where I'm trying to get drugs or where I'm being chased or somebody's trying to kill me or, you know, I'm in a violent altercation with somebody. They don't affect me anymore in a way that dominates my waking hours. And they used to, I used to have dreams, you know, in prior attempts at, uh, getting in, staying clean and sober, I would have dreams and, and they would literally dominate my, my waking hours. It would dominate my day. Um, they would, they were insidious in my mind and, and I would think of them constantly to where they eventually pushed me toward using and and often I would eventually use and um, you know I don't know if it's the amount of prayer and meditation or the surrender uh, recognizing that I am not bigger than drugs and alcohol and that you know I get a daily reprieve based on the spiritual and service work that I do um, I'm not I'm not exactly sure what it is but I yeah. I am definitely not plagued by them the way that I once was and I'm super grateful for that because uh, the amount that I, the amount of dreams that I have, I I can't imagine um, that if I did not have some sort of mental control, uh, that I that I would have remained you know clean and sober this long. So I don't know if it was just a gift, you know, as a result of doing hard things or what. But yeah, I don't know. I just uh, I try to maintain power over my thoughts. You went as you said. You went to jail three times, and we've all heard this before, Ginny. That. Jail has a way of sometimes saving people. You talked about how you became a little more clear-headed, but I, I don't know. I have I have so many questions. How do you execute a plan that you come up with in jail when you're out and you don't have the tools? It seems like a vicious, the ultimate vicious circle. And then that third trip to jail was different. You stayed clean for six months. I know I'm asking lots of questions, but that, that December the 5th, 2012 truck ride i think that's a story that's a turning point story that our listeners would 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 like to hear yeah absolutely so well first of all what jail and prison can do is uh create a separation right between you and the drug and and so uh i was always grateful for that inside of prisons and jails there's a lack of rehabilitative programming uh and the ones that are available are usually uh available for people that have been court ordered so that can be problematic because a person such as myself who really wanted to create a new foundation was really unable to do so because i I think it's really hard to navigate new choices when you have not practiced them. Right. right. So all of your, all of your best intentions kind of go out the window when you step out the gate, because you haven't been participating in new behaviors prior to uh, being released. And so, um, you know, uh, your highest resolve can only be as high as your, your knowledge base sort of allows it to be. And so, um, so that is definitely problematic. So I was walking down the street one night. I was, I was in Tacoma. I would like to say living in Tacoma. I was homeless and non-drugs in Tacoma. I hadn't been there for a really long time. That's where I'm from. Uh, I stole the truck 
It was never reported. I was super grateful for that. Um, I stole the truck and I was driving and I was running for my life from the guy that I was married to. Um, He was pretty psychotic and was terrorizing me, had stolen my car, and I no longer had access to my car. So I didn't like to be trapped in a certain vicinity on foot, on drugs. Uh, I'm very paranoid when I'm on amphetamines. And not to mention when you have a guy like the one I was married to, uh, chasing you around on drugs, it it makes you not want to sleep and not know where to hide, especially when he knows where all of your friends live. And so, so I'd stolen a truck and the, the bail bondsmen were actually after me also. So that just made me triply paranoid. And I was out at some friend's house. I had this grand plan that I was going to go somewhere. I don't know where. I don't remember where I was going to go. But my truck was parked, the truck. I can't say my truck. It wasn't my truck. But the truck was parked by their house, and I was planning to go to Walgreens. It was probably about somewhere between 5.30 and 7 o'clock in the morning. And, um, And I went to drive, and the guy that I was hanging out with refused to get in the truck with me because he knew it was stolen and he didn't want to get in any trouble. Well, apparently there was a short in the, in the brake lights and, and a cop got behind me and he flipped his lights on. And, um, well, I tried to run for it, but I'm in morning rush hour traffic in Spanaway, Washington. There's really nowhere to go. And the truck also was old and it was not fast. And I ended up drifting through the yard of this apartment in a very slow fashion. And the cop, you know, came and arrested me, and um, he was a really nice guy, super patient with me. Um, I was pretty relieved, actually. I mean, I didn't really want to be arrested. I would have preferred to keep using drugs, even though I didn't want to be using drugs. And and I think that's the challenge, right, with uh, being an addict. You can know that you don't want to be living the life that you're living, but you can't stop on your own, and you don't really want to be incarcerated because, well, who wants to be incarcerated? But at the same time, you're relieved. And so, and that was the experience that I had. And, you know, he let me know. He's like, I, I really don't know why you ran. He goes, I was just trying to pull you over and let you know that you had a short in your taillight. Um, but, you know, I think everything happens for a reason. And uh, so, I, you know, I was arrested and, and I was facing another at least a five-year sentence for five felonies that were associated with, you know, forgery. I I had had some checks and some numbers and I was, you know, trying to make money off of that. And I had previously been arrested and, and bailed out or released. And so, um, you know, it was just kind of a breath of fresh air. Honestly, I got put in the back of the cop car and I knew I wasn't going anywhere and I knew that I was done, but the addict in me did not want to be trapped there. But, you know, I just sort of surrendered at that point. And that was the beginning of an incredible new chapter of this story. School with students 25 yeah. years younger than you, Ginny, in South Seattle. Yes. <laughs> How was that? <laughs> uh, it was really interesting. I definitely felt like there were some cobwebs in my brain for a while. Um, I identified with my teachers probably more than my my peers, but, you know, i.e. the students. But um, I was actually even one of the most influential teachers that I had, my political science teacher at South Seattle. Uh, he was younger than I was, but uh, he was really a gem. And, you know, I ended up um, creating some really great friendships with some of these young, brilliant kids wow. that I was in school with. Wow. So, and, um, and then the UW and scholarships followed and all academic yeah. team and... 
The Truman State Scholar of the Year Awards. Un- unbelievable. A- and then graduation. And upon graduation, you have to tell the story of your decision to post those two pictures. Now, I think the world has seen that, but if our audience hasn't, we'll make it we'll make it available to them. You posted those two pictures. First tell everybody what the different what those two pictures were and why you decided to go that route. Sure. So, I back in um 2019-2020, I filmed uh, a show with Eric Johnson. It was called The Fight for the Soul of Seattle and uh we were trying to locate some of my mug shots. And so I reached out to King County DAJD and, and asked for them to release my mug shots. And, and they did. And, um, some of them are real bad and, you know, I was a heroin addict. And so, um, heroin and crack cocaine really make me look emaciated when I, when I'm using, I, I, I'm five foot nine and I, and I typically drop down to under a hundred pounds when I'm using heroin and cocaine. And so, uh, which is pretty, it looks pretty bad. And so, uh, one of the worst mug shots I have, which has went viral all over the world. And it's a side by side that I have with my current graduation oh, picture. Um, it was just when I looked at that picture, first of all, when I picked that picture up, I cried because I had never seen myself through a clear set of eyes, you know, in that, level and depth of, of addiction. And so that picture is very meaningful for me because it gives me an opportunity to be able to look back and see how far I've come. When another person takes your picture, if you have uh, an identifying mark on one side of your body, it will, you know, look one way in a picture. And it, But if you're taking a selfie because of the way that the camera is turned around, it'll almost look like it's a different person because it won't be on the same side, if you know, for a frontal view. And so I had done some side-by-side with my mugshot um, on a number of occasions, but they were usually selfies. I have a tattoo on my neck, two initials, and um, I went and got my graduation photos taken by a friend of mine uh, here at the Capitol because I've moved down to Thurston County, and you could clearly see my neck tattoo in the graduation photo, and I and I was really pleased with the way they've come out. You know, I'm aging. I'm not real comfortable with the lines that I'm starting to see on my face and whatnot. But but I was really pleased with um, one graduation picture in particular. However, there were a lot of really amazing ones. But there was one where you could clearly see the tattoo on my neck, and I look like a completely different person than the one in one of the worst times of my addiction, where you could also clearly see the tattoo on my neck. And so I thought that it would be very profound for me to put to create a collage of side by side and post those I, I am involved via Facebook with a number of people that I've known my entire life I know a lot of people from a lot of different things and you know my hometown and and a number of folks that are in active addiction that have a really hard time you know pulling themselves out and so I have actually over the last eight and a half years eight and a half to 10 years, I have sort of lived out loud on social media for a number of reasons. And one reason is because it has helped me to process some of the darkness, but also it has allowed me to encourage other people to make changes in their lives. And so, so I posted those photos, you know, hoping to encourage some of the folks that I know or that I'm friends with on Facebook. And I had absolutely no idea these photos were going to go viral. They've been shared all over the world. I, I have I recently looked, I Googled my name, Jenny Burton, and I was looking at more than 10 pages of different articles that were, you know, showing those photos that have been written 
and Taiwan and Belgium yes. and Holland yes. and the yes. UK and yes. Iran and Afghanistan. And I mean, it's just been unbelievable. The response I don't understand what I'm like, I'm just a person that's trying to get clean, but I'm also very grateful that my face is uh, the face of hope. One message that I try to convey, even in my own posts and things like that, is that is that you can do whatever you decide. You can do whatever you choose to do. And that whatever we tell ourselves is the truth. And, you know, I didn't believe in myself. I thought I would never amount to anything. I thought that there were a lot of things that I didn't think were available to people such as myself. And, um, you know, what, what is happening right now with the posts and what the newscasts and things like that is that I just, and, and even just without all of those things, just looking at those photographs that I was so wrong about myself. Like I had no idea what my capabilities were. And, and I think that that is a, a human trait. We, we really don't know. And I think that we give up before we even reach our potential. And, um, I'm just really grateful that I have been able to show the world that, that we can all be so much more than what we think we can. Those pictures are so moving in so many different ways. I don't know that I've ever looked at a picture side by side and had the range of emotions, both heartbreaking, sad, and excited and jubilant that I had when I looked at those pictures that you posted. What would you like to be doing, Jenny, as we wrap up? Uh, you're going to you're going to go to a graduate school at the UW. I know that you're you're married and you've moved a little bit and you're yeah. enjoying your life now, clean and sober. In five or ten years, what would Ginny Burton like to be doing? Oh, Ginny Burton would like to be consulting with prisons and law enforcement, and uh, probably speaking across the country, specifically speaking to folks that are incarcerated about what they can do. Yes, I'm slotted for grad school. However, I am also being offered a bunch of really promising career opportunities that I can't necessarily talk about right now. Uh, There are some things in the works that are... They're really aligned with my values and and my goals and of reimagining um, our systems. And so uh, more will be revealed in the near okay. future about those things. But yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah, you know, yeah. So those are those are the things I want to do. I want to help people change their lives. I want to help people become free. And I don't mean just released from jail. I mean free from the self-imposed prisons that we place in our, in our own lives. Well, it's just a matter of time before the big screen calls. And maybe one of those opportunities you're talking about is the mm-hmm. big screen. It's just a matter of time. And I need to know, I told you before we started, I was going to ask you this. I've given you some time to think about it. Which actress you get to choose? Which actress plays Ginny Burton on the Academy Award winning big screen movie? Oh, my gosh. That's like such a hard one to. I mean, I'll tell you, I love Uma Thurman. Really? Okay. I don't. You know, I do. I think she's fantastic. She's a badass in movies, too, which is great. But, yeah, I don't know. I, I don't know. I, I'm going to have to keep thinking about that okay. one because people have asked me okay. that, and I, I don't know. Uh, but I do love – I'm pretty particular to Uma Thurman. I okay. think she's awesome. All right. Well, as I said at yeah. the top, Ginny, I've had the privilege of interviewing so many courageous and inspiring people whose stories demand that all of us kind of take a good, hard look in the mirror at ourselves. But this might be – Beyond compare, I I am so happy for you. I am so, 
excited for you and what's to come. You're whatever you are, 48, and it feels like you're 24. God bless you and Chris and your family. And who knows how many people in our audience you saved their lives today. So thank you so much for joining us on Mitch Unfiltered. What a great privilege it was for me to chat with you, Ginny. Thanks so much, Mitch. I really appreciate your time. Hey, look who we've captured again on Mitch Unfiltered. Fireside Home Solutions owner John Waterstrat off the golf course and the fishing boat to chat fireplaces and garage doors. How's everyone doing, John? Hi, Mitch. Doing great. Again, as I've said before, we've been super blessed to be in this market and uh, be in the building and retail industry, and our customers continue to bless us with lots of businesses. Uh, Again, just working through delays that manufacturers might have, but we think good communication and then having some patience, uh, we can get a lot of these things installed for people. It's funny. John, you think of fireplace conversations as wintertime discussions, but the truth is, like with us here at the house, it's now, right, that you start the planning process to change the look and feel of your home for fall and winter. Yeah, I think it's the great time. Depending on the kind of project you're doing, it takes a little while to make some selections. You know, we come out to your house like we've talked about before. You come into the showroom. So there are times that go along there. So if we can be patient again, like we were talking about, uh, we can look at stuff. We take our time to really pick out the things that we need to. We'll help guide you and make sure you make the right selection. But it does. It takes the pressure off of getting it done in the fall. Boom. When that first winter day or that fall day comes, you have that nice warm fire place in your home people who listen to unfiltered know that a few years ago you guys also jumped in the garage doors business how's it going tell us about that arm of your of your work it's doing great as well uh it's very very busy in that industry it's a little bit different most garage doors are steel so the steel index has gone up so the pricing has been a little bit more variable we just moved our puyallup location to a Sumner location so we could stock more for our customers to make sure we can keep those lead times down fantastic start your shopping whether it's a new indoor or outdoor fireplace or new garage doors you got to start your shopping with an amazingly loyal supporter of us here on Mitch Unfiltered, Fireside Home Solutions and FiresideHomeSolutions.com. It's time that we talk saving money with my buddy Jordan Flowers of the Kirkland office of Gill Mortgage. How are you, Jordan? Mitch, I am doing great. I am still trying to track you down to win someone money back from golf last year. We'll do it. Do I have to call you J-Flow on the golf course, or can I call you Jordan? Yeah, you know, J-Flow's just going to pump me up. <laughs> you better be careful. What are rates these days on 30-year fixed? Yeah, rates are still, we're quoting out in the high twos, low threes on 30-year fixed rates right now. So depending on if you're looking to do a cash-out refinance or a straight rate and term refinance, you're still being able to capitalize on historically low interest rates. Good time to buy a house in the Pacific Northwest? Always a great time to buy. Certainly has its challenges for our buyers, but it's still a great time to buy. And we're helping a lot of people buy homes right now, even with as little as zero to 3% down. We've got some tricks up our sleeve that help our buyers win in competitive situations. So always a great time to look at it. So if I'm considering a refinance, how do I know when the right time is to call you guys? If I look at my 30-year fix that I'm involved in right now, and I see, let's say, 3.7%. Can I save money yeah. by calling you? Absolutely, 100%. You could be looking at saving money on a new 30-year, getting in the high twos, low threes, or shortening the payoff time frame. 
that you have on it and say going to a 20 year fixed or something. So certainly mid to high threes, you should be looking at refinancing and taking advantage of these low rates for right, well, as long as they're here. What's the time investment? How long do I have to talk to Jordan? How long do I have to talk to JFlow to find out how much money I can save? You can talk to JFlow for as little as five to seven minutes okay. or as long as you'd like to chat. <laughs> <laughs> And how do I get a hold of Jordan Flowers in the Kirkland office at Gill Mortgage? Our direct office line is 425-250-3145. And the cell phone you can text or call is 425-890-2957. Mitch Unfiltered would not be very far without our sponsors, in particular Jordan Flowers and the Kirkland office of Gill Mortgage. Unfiltered. felt sick because I had something on my chest that that I wanted to get out there that I've never told anybody and and that was that that I'm a gay man you know for as long as I remembered I I struggled with who I am uh, I I didn't think that anyone could love me I didn't think that they could accept me I was I was uh, afraid of who I was the sports story that has transcended the playing field obviously Raiders defensive end Carl Nassib's video becoming the first active NFL player to come out as gay. The worldwide reaction has been amazing. In fact, I even saw where Nassib's 94 Raiders jersey is the top seller across the league. Former Kansas State talented left tackle Scott France first told his teammates he was gay in 2016. And Scott is gracious enough to be with us here on Mitch Unfiltered. How are you, Scott? And thanks for being with us. I'm doing great, Mitch. Thanks for having me on. You know, I was saddened, Scott, to see your message that you feel like you failed the gay community by not making it to the NFL. That seems like a lot of weight to be put on your own shoulders. You know, yeah, that was kind of interesting because it's like I never grew up as a kid um, dreaming of playing in the NFL. You know, I actually I wanted to join the military after high school. About junior year, I got overweight and really good at playing offensive line. And, and <laughs> you know, I was kind of thrown into that position of being a college athlete because I never had that driving force of wanting to play in the NFL. You know, being the first openly gay NFL player was kind of like my driving force. Um, and I did feel like, you know, when I didn't accomplish that, I'm like, when when will somebody accomplish that? Um, so it was, it, it hurt me, you know, when I didn't do that. That's why I was so excited for Carl when I saw his news. Take us through the emotions, Scott, that you had when you watched Carl's video for the first time. Yeah, I think I actually saw it on Twitter first. And I was like, oh, wow, that's that's really cool. I was excited, you know, that that, you know, just about that news. And then I'm like, wait, I know this guy. I'm like, I remember seeing him off of Hard Knocks. I can't remember if maybe two or three years ago. Right. Um, I remember him off of Hard Knocks, which is, uh, as you probably know, an HBO series. And I was like, not only is this, you know, the first gay NFL player, but it's also like a dude in the NFL. Like he's got 20 plus sacks. Uh, I think he signed a 20 or $25 million contract. So that was even more exciting to me. It's like, not only was it, it wasn't just a random guy. It was a guy who's established himself in the NFL and has respect and, and, and I'm sure has respect of his teammates. And, and that was, that was so cool for me to see. Scott, it's not hyperbole that this announcement could have saved some young people's lives when they see this people, young people who are struggling with this. Yeah, absolutely. 
and, and that's one thing I, I, I loved about Carl's Instagram post. He was so nonchalant about the way he came out. He's like, hey, I hope everyone's having a good day. By the way, I just want to tell you that I'm gay. And then he goes on telling about how, you know, how great his life is and, and him donating to this cause. You know, it's so funny. I see on Twitter, and, and I got some of it, obviously not near the extent of what Carl's getting because Carl has a bigger platform than I did. Uh, but when I came out uh, and I see it, on Twitter today with Carl, you know, you got a bunch of people saying, why is this news? You know, this shouldn't matter. It's yeah. not a headline. And, and in some ways they're right. Like it shouldn't be news. It shouldn't, it shouldn't be uh, a national headline, but it's not for those people on there. Right? It, it's for that kid, you know, who, who, who wakes up every morning, that gay kid who wakes up, looks himself in the mirror and hates what he sees, you know, hates who he is, right? That's, that's what this message is for, is, is, to, is to reach out to those kids, be like, it's okay, all right, it's okay to be who you are, um, it's okay to be gay, um, you can be, a, you know, a masculine football player and, and make millions of dollars uh, playing in the NFL and, and you can be gay. And that's why I loved about Carl's message is that he didn't make it about himself, he made it about those kids you know, because it, people ask, like, why is this even an issue? Well, as, as long as kids are still taking their lives over this issue, it'll continue to be uh, something that we need to promote we'll you do, know, and, and, and help. You will do us all a favor, Scott, and tell us about Scott Franz, the kid. Before you go back to 2016, your redshirt year, and you're telling your Kansas State teammate, which I want you to tell that story, what was your life like, Scott, carrying this around with you? Yeah, um, you know, I grew up in a... A great household, um, very loving family, very loving community. Uh, I was not explicitly told that being gay was, you know, horrible, but it was just kind of that was just kind of a thought process um, that that it's not as a Christian, um, and I still am a Christian. That 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 being gay was 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 somehow uh, not okay. Um, so it's like I struggled with that. I, I knew since fifth grade at, at first I was like I knew I was different um, I thought that maybe it was just a phase um, and I struggled with that for, for for many years You know, it wasn't until it wasn't until late high school until I you know kind of like came to terms I was like well this is, you know It is what it is and yeah. you know that sort of thing. But yeah, I was fortunate enough to go to K-State um, had a just just a great locker room uh, full of just good guys. Um, and I remember the first time I ever told anyone I was gay was was in front of 120 of my wow. uh, uh, football teammates. Um, it was like a team bonding session. A lot of uh, a lot of guys were, were sharing uh, very meaningful things that they've been holding on to for their life. And I just knew that was the time for me to share what I was holding on to. And it was so great. It was, you know, everyone loved me for it. Um, you know, everyone gave me a hug and, and then that was it. And then it was, it was just business as usual afterwards. And, and it was, you know, I was very blessed to be in the situation I was. And I think like my story and I think Carl's story will, will really show that, that it's not a big deal uh, to, to be gay in today's age, um, that it's, it's not like it used to be. And that's what, that's, that's one of the reasons why I wanted to share my story a year after I came out to my teammates because I wanted to share to these kids who struggle with their feelings, with their sexuality, that you know, it, it's not a big deal anymore, that you can be openly gay and you can, you can do whatever you want and people will love you for it. Um, and that was my story. And I, I, I don't want to speak for Carl, but it sounds like that's kind of what his story is too. Two things pop in my mind. First, I find it interesting that you told teammates before your family members, Scott. Talk about that. And then what was the year like between telling teammates and doing the ESPN sit down interview. Yeah. Um, so I told my teammates before I told my family 
um, because I had no intention of telling my teammates until until that team bonding session happened. I remember sitting there and I was just sweating and I was I could barely breathe and I knew it was like holy crap like this is the time that I need to get this off my chest. Um, so it was just out of the blue. I had no plans of doing that. And then the year after that, you know, it was a great year and it was, it was such a great year. You know, people didn't even start uh, to ask questions about my sexuality until about nine months after I came out. That's how tight that stayed in that locker room. And that's how pe that's, you know, I, I trusted my teammates with that information and no one said anything. Um, so it was almost a year uh, before people started chattering like, oh, I've heard this about, you know, Scott. And, and at that point, I'm a very private guy and it sounds like Carl is, is too from what he was saying. Um, a part of me was just like, you know, just let me live my life. Um, this is no one's business. I don't need to make a statement. Um, but again, it just goes back to the bigger picture of, of you know, I felt like it was my duty if I could somehow reach out to kids who are struggling with what I struggled with, because I struggled very heavily with, with, uh, with who I was for many years and it was very hard. I'm like, why would I sit back and be quiet yeah. if I could help out a kid wherever they are with what they're going through? And that was ultimately why I came out. 51 straight starts later, you're at the NFL Combine. How did those following years go at Kansas State? Were there any bumps in the road with your teammates or opponents or fans along the way? Uh, no. You know, uh, people people have this stereotype of of you know Kansas and, and especially Manhattan, Kansas. It's a it's a farming community. It's a very rural community. Um, I had nothing uh, but a great experience there, especially after I came out. Um, everyone loved me for it. People had respect for me because of that. You know, even if even the people who didn't necessarily agree with it and, or didn't get it, um, they they still loved me for for who I was. You know, I never heard anything negative playing in the Big 12. Uh, you know, no one was calling me names. No, uh, no other fans were calling me names, um, which is um, that's something we prepared for after I after I came out publicly was, OK, you know, these fans, they, they can be yelling at you. They'll call you names. Other teams may call you names. Never happened. Times have just changed. It was really a great experience. So then you come to the. NFL Combine, right? And you've got... Uh, I did not go to the Combine. I had my Pro Day. That's okay. probably what you're referring you, to. Right, you had your Pro Day. But you had to make some decisions on how you were going to handle interviews with NFL clubs. Uh, you decided to be proactive, I read. And then, yep. and then how does... Uh, I'm going to ask the question that I know a lot of you, your friends have asked, and I know that you think about. How does a big five conference left tackle with 51 straight starts, not only go undrafted, but not be invited to any training camp as an undrafted free agent. That doesn't add up to me. Talk about that part of the story, Scott. <laughs> yeah, that, that, that's kind of the million dollar question I've been asked about a lot. You know, people ask me, well, do you, do you feel like you were, you know, discriminated against? And you know, I, the way I live my life is I, I, I never, I, I don't ever make excuses. I, I, don't, I don't ever try to play the victim. Are there questions surrounding that? Yeah, of course. I don't have any evidence for that. But at the end of the day, all I can do is reflect on my abilities as a player. I was kind of one of those guys with, with a, 
a low ceiling, but I maxed out everything I had. You know, I wasn't a great athlete. I ran a five six forty uh, during my during my pro day, which which if people know football, they know that that's really bad. Um, you know, I jumped a twenty two inch vertical. Uh, you know, I was, I was not a great athlete. I, I maxed out everything I did, and, and that's why I was I was such a great you know college football player. So from an athletic standpoint, I think that hurt me. Everything else, you know, whether or not my sexuality played a factor in it, uh, you know, there, it's hard to tell, but I, I'm not, I'm not going to make that excuse. Do you suspect, Scott, that members of the Raiders organization and people around football already knew this about Carl, and we as fans are just learning about it now, this week? And what do you think faces him now? Will it all be good, or will there be, as I say, speed bumps along the way? Uh, you know, I would never uh, make an assumption of, of Carl's, Carl's situation. I've never talked to the guy. Um, I don't know anything about him. You know, I think there's a there, there's a chance that that uh, that the team knew about. It. I know K State knew about me for for a whole year before I came out. So yeah, there's there's a chance. I don't know his story. I don't know who he's told along the way. You know, maybe he came out to the first person five years ago. You know, I don't know uh, his story. But I think going forward, it's hard to say. I think it's just one of those things we've got to wait and see. You know, I see there's there's a lot of love right now. The NFL's commented about it. Roger Goodell came out with a statement. Some prominent NFL players come out and say something on Twitter. I think it'll just be business as usual. Carl seems like a guy who, um, who like myself, didn't want to make this about him. Uh, and, and put his sexuality at the forefront. It sounds like he's just going to go on with business as, u- as usual and, and, and keep being a, you know, a great defensive end for, for the Las Vegas Raiders and, and be a good player. And at the end of the day, that's what, that's what most people care about. So you know? what does it take, Scott, for a gay men in football or other sports not to be a newsworthy story? We're obviously not quite there yet. Yeah, um, you know, that's that's a tough one, because like I said earlier, you know, people are always like, well, why is this news? And in an ideal world, it shouldn't be news. Uh, but like I said, as long as as long as there's still kids taking their lives and, and struggling with this issue, it'll continue. Uh, you know, we need to continue to make this a news issue and push that narrative that it's OK and that you can be, uh, you know, this country is a great country um, and, and you can be openly gay and it's OK. Uh, we need to keep pushing that narrative. I don't know when it'll stop being a, a, a news story. I mean, he's obviously the first. You know, there's there's obviously gay players in the NFL. Most people know that. It's just whether or not people will, will start, uh, you know, having that courage to come out. Um, I don't know. I think time will tell. I think I think what Carl did, and it's so great. Like, I'm so glad he broke that barrier before I did because I was I was going to be a fringe player. You know, I don't know if I would have made the roster or not. But this is a guy who who has established himself in the NFL. He's a veteran. And I think that carries so much weight with everything he, 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 he did. Um, so that, that's, that's so exciting. Tell me about Scott France and life after football. Are you happy? And, and, and kind of give our, our audience the update. There's a lot of our audience has not seen or heard from you since that interview. On ESPN. Yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Life, life is great. Um, you know, I'm, I'm down 85 pounds since since being a since being a big offensive lineman. What are you so tipping body, the scales at now these days? Uh, I'm about 230 right now, and I was okay. about 310, 315 when I was playing. How'd you lose it? You know, it was uh, it was just it's like everything else in life. You either do it or you don't. Um, you either make a commitment or or you don't. And I told myself, i you know, I, I've been overweight for for so many years because I had to play football um, that I just I didn't want to live that unhealthy life anymore and and 
try to eat better. I've worked out and, and you know, quarantine helped too because I didn't have much to do and I'm a teacher now. So I have my summers off. So that's easy to, you know, kind of use that time. But yeah, I, uh, you know, since football, I got a job back in my hometown. I'm teaching special education at my old hometown. I absolutely love it. I love the kids. Uh, it's, it's a job that I'm really passionate about. Um, and, and now I'm actually, I took a job in Frisco, which is just north of Dallas. So I'm gonna go teach special ed down there, and and I'm just kind of, kind of living my life now. Uh, life is very different than having to work out at do team runs at 6 a.m. and watch hours of film a day. And yeah, it's 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 different. I like it. It's it's you know I miss my guys. I miss I miss my teammates. I miss that brotherhood. Uh, that's something I'll probably never get back. Well, I'm sure glad that Scott Franz is happy, and not only wish you nothing but the best, but very appreciative that you share some time and emotions with us here on Mitch Unfiltered. Thank you, Scott. My best to you and your family. Awesome. Thanks a lot, Mitch. She's back. Senior financial planner, Katie Versio, Evergreen Golf Call. How are you, Katie? And how are all my friends doing over at Evergreen? Uh, I'm good. We're all good. Thanks for asking and for having me today, Mitch. How are you? Well, I'm good. I'm feeling okay because I've never gone three for three on one of your financial trivia contests and I'm hoping that today is the day. Do we have a theme today, Katie? Yes. So the theme is of new legislation that's recently been passed in Washington. So hopefully you've been uh, oh, researching, no. been no. studying that. No. <laughs> Go ahead. What's question number one? Number one. Okay. So Washington recently passed the Long-Term Care Trust Act, which is a new payroll tax to help fund long-term care services. According to Morningstar, what current percentage of individuals turning 65 will end up needing some kind of long-term care in their life? Is it 30%, 45, 60, or 70%? Oh, I'm going out the window right away. I'll say 60%, Katie. Oof, unfortunately, the answer is 70%. Oh. So that means the majority of those that are turning 65 today will need, whether it's nursing home care, assisted living, home health care, some kind of services as they age. I'm protesting Morningstar. Go ahead, question number two. <laughs> okay, true or false? This one's a little bit easier. You only got two options here. Oh, no. So all workers, since this is a payroll tax, all workers in Washington state are required to pay this tax. True or false? Oh. I'll say true, Katie, go ahead. Tell me Oops. it's false. Oh, sorry. No. <laughs> it's good news for the taxpayers, not good news for uh, your record here. Oh. But there are some exceptions. If you're an independent contractor, if you are a 1099 worker, you don't have to pay this tax. If you don't want to, you can opt into it. Also, if you have a long-term care policy or you purchase one in 2021, you are able to opt out of this tax. When my parents see my report card, <laughs> going to be bad news in the Levy household. <laughs> Go ahead. Question number three. Let me see if I can save some face. Go ahead. All right. So another law that was recently passed, but is currently being debated. There's some lawsuits against this one. It's regarding capital gains. How the law stands today is there will be a flat 7% tax that's assessed to capital gains exceeding what dollar amount? Is it 50,000, 100,000, 250,000 or 300,000? I'm, I'm throwing the two extremes out. I'm in the middle of 100 and 250. I'll go 100,000, Katie. 
Oof, I'm sorry that you're zero for three on this one. It's actually 250,000. Really? If you are selling stocks, any other types of property, and you have gains in a given year above 250,000, as the law stands today, there will be a flat 7% tax assessed to that. Have you ever heard of going easy on the host, Katie? You're supposed <laughs> to go easy on the host. I love her anyway. She's back with a senior financial planner, Katie Versio of Evergreen Golf Call. More than just a financial advisor, Evergreen Golf Call is everything wealth. Unfiltered. Hey there, sleepyhead. Can I get some service, please? We've got a person here that really needs some coffee. Yes, indeed. Service is my middle name. Uh, good morning. It certainly is. Hi. Hi. Want some coffee? No, just a coffee break. Oh, it's not even noon and my feet feel like it's three in the morning. Well, I'm going to have to ask your feet to leave. This bar closes at two. <laughs> hey, listen. Mitch Unfiltered, if you're around my age or older, I, I can't even believe that it's 40 years, but I'll say that it's 40 years and we'll pretend that it's not. Our next guest was in my home every week. He was in your home every week. He was pointing. He was doing the point. We're going to find out about that. He was Isaac the bartender on the love boat, and he's had a terrific career in show business ever since. He's an actor, a playwright, a director, you name it, including a new horror film that's out this week on all streaming services. He's Isaac. He's Ted Lange. He's with us on Mitch Unfiltered. Hi, Ted. How you doing, Mitch? It's great to have you here. I I'm gonna, Thank you. I'm going to ask you the million questions about the love boat. Let's get the new project out first. It's called Blood Pageant. I see where it's Snoop Dogg and Stephen Baldwin and Isaac the Bartender and a great cast. It's a reality TV show that went bad. Tell us about it. Well, it's uh, I play the host of an, a reality television show called American Dream. And in this, it's kind of like... Um, the Julie Chen television show, you know, Big Brother, yeah. where they put all of these people, except what the people that we put in the house are all beautiful women. <laughs> and as the show goes along, in reality, the women start disappearing, and that's where the horror comes in. Anyway, I'm the host of that television show. Snoop Dogg is one of the judges. And, you know, when Snoop came on the set, a cloud of smoke followed him on the set. <laughs> and then when you stood there and you talked to him, yeah. you felt better for the rest of the day. You don't even know why you felt better, you know? But it was good. And he was a fun guy. Snoop was a fun guy. So we had a, we had a lot of fun. Oh, gosh. Do you ever, Ted, get tired of answering questions and talking about the love boat? You're such a happy-go-lucky guy. I've watched a lot of your interviews over the years, obviously familiar with your personality and your charm and your charisma. It seems like somebody off the street could approach you, and they probably still do, and ask you questions, and you would engage that person. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. yeah, yeah. That's it. And that's true. People do approach me. But you, you, you have to remember, I remember I, I did a thing, I did a television show, and I was really nice to someone that was rude, uh -oh. and then I, you know, they, we got them to be kinder. 
And the woman, uh, the woman that was kind of like my chaperone, I was in uh, Oklahoma. The woman was my chaperone. I said, why were you so nice to the guy? I said, well, because his experience with meeting me is this one time. He may never see me again. But if he goes away with a, a good, strong impression, you know, that's what he's going to live with, you know? And that's the kind of thing that I try to take into uh people that I meet when I'm around the country, you know, cause that's the one time they're going to see you. They may never see you again. And if they see you and you, and you, you take time with them and you, yeah. you talk yeah. and you know, it's, it's a, uh, it's fun. I know I met a couple of celebrities when I was a kid that were very positive to me. Uh, I met an actor named Dane Clark. I don't know if you know who that is, but I was in high school. I said, Mr. Clark, Mr. Clark, I want to be an actor. <laughs> and this guy sat down and talked to me, wow. you know? And then I, I saw Jose Ferrer. Uh-huh. And then years later, he did a love boat. And I said, hey, you don't remember this, but you came to San Francisco in Man of La Mancha, and I talked to you about being an actor, and you were very kind. And you took time out and you, you gave me some encouraging words. So that's what I try to, you know, I don't do it all the time, but I try to remember that, you know? Yeah. Ted, you know, as I look at you on, on zoom and I listen to you talk, it's amazing. Your character, Isaac and you are so alike. Uh, it's, wow. it's, it's, it's amazing. It sounds to me like you are, and you worked at Ted Lange is, Isaac and Isaac is Ted. Yes. Well, yeah. You know, there's a certain point where you morph into what you are, you know, and what to into what the character is. As long as you maintain your sense of comedy, because that's what we were doing. We were yeah. doing comedy. Sure. Uh, as long as you maintain your sense of comedy, then you're good to go. And uh, Fred Grandy and I, we had a really, really wonderful chemistry and gopher. connection gopher. yeah gopher yeah gopher yeah and he and i did a play uh a couple of years ago called uh i'm not rapaport yeah and uh i i think you may know that he sure. went off to congress for sure. a while sure and so i hadn't seen fred in 30 years and he said listen i got us a gig in syracuse new york at this theater to do rapaport i said yeah. okay great so i signed on we yeah. met in Syracuse, and then as I'm sitting there, I'm saying, what if we don't have the same magic anymore? And we read the play. It was called, it's called a table read. We read the play, and by the time we finished the first page, everything came back. Love it. It was Love like Abbott and Costello Love or Lowell and Love Hardy. You know I mean? Love we. We regained our sense of comedy and our sense of chemistry Love after it. a 30 year recess. Come on, man. Love That's it. it. Love it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Hey, it really 1977, it debuted. How'd you get the gig and where'd the point? Where did the point come from? You do that in the audition. Did that happen organically? No, no accident, accident. Yeah, yeah. Point was an accident. Okay. Uh, uh, as you remember, we would look into the camera and they say your favorite bartender. And so I, I said to the producer, a guy named Henry Coleman, I said, why am I looking into the lens? Cause you're never supposed to look into the lens. I said, why am I looking into the lens? What am I doing? What is this character doing? Yeah. And he said, think about your paycheck. <laughs> And I went, okay, got it, you know. So that's where that came from. And how I got the gig was I had done a television show for ABC called 
Miss uh, uh, called That's My Mama. Mm -hmm. And then after I left that show, I went and did another ABC TV gig for a half hour sitcom with Pat Morita before Karate Kid. Mm -hmm. And that show uh, didn't last long, but it solidified my acting and comedic chops with ABC TV. So then when Love Boat came along, they just put me on the show. They didn't, I didn't have to audition or anything because they saw the, that's my mama. They saw Mr. T and Tina and they said, just, this is the guy. We know this is the guy. Aaron Spelling. And in those days, Aaron Spelling, anything he touched turned to turned gold, to gold so, baby. So, it was, so, so you knew right away or no, you didn't know right away that this was a, well, we didn't Fred Grandy and I, who were like, you know, actor studio actors, you know, said, yeah. this isn't real. Cause we went on a cruise and the cruise at that time was all elderly people on their way out. You know, they actually had refrigerators for corpses if somebody dropped dead on the cruise ship, they didn't turn around and go back. They put them in the refrigerator, cabled their family, and said, be at the dock with someone to pick up the body, you know? So we said, well, this idea with girls in swimming suits and all, this isn't real. And Gavin is the one. Gavin came on and said, gentlemen, yes. this is a hit. And we go, yeah, yeah, sure, Gavin. <laughs> but he knew, absolutely. And then we, what happened is... Hold on one second. Gavin McLeod, you're referring to. We just lost, yes. we just lost him. He was Captain Stubing on the yes. love boat. I, I feel like I have to do this because we've got 30, 30-year-old 30 guys and gals in our audience, Ted, who have yeah. no, they have no idea what we're talking about. Talking right about, now. yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> but he was, he was the star of the show. We were all... Uh, under his umbrella. Yeah. But he, he said, you know, this, this show is a hit and we literally changed the cruise industry because I was young ask. people started going on cruises. I was going to ask. Yes. They have gorgeous women and kids. You, you, before us, nobody took a kid on a cruise, but then they, they started building boats with things for kids to do on the cruises. That was all because of Love Boat that happened. Did you kiss Diane Carroll? Many times. <laughs> Many times. Uh, 14 times I wasn't supposed to. But the 15th time, she said, okay, that, that's it. You know, I got away with 14 before she stopped me. You know? Yeah. So how... You're 29 years old. I did the math. You were 29 years old when you st you signed on to do the Love Boat. I, I would imagine a guy like you, your life changes. You're from the Bay Area. I'm assuming you had to move down to Southern California, and everything changes for, for young Ted. What happened? No, no, no. I was down here. I was down here about three years. Okay. Uh, uh, and actually, what happened is the first time I came down, I couldn't get arrested. Nothing. Zero. Yeah, zilch. Yeah. And then I got into a touring show of the musical Hair, traveled all over the country. It was okay. the first touring company. And then they brought me to New York. And then I learned about show business in New York, okay. went back to L.A., and it was another two years before I got That's My Mama. But what was and it like, but what was it like, Ted, 
When you the love boat, everybody watched the love boat. You're walking around the streets. You're going to a diner. You're going to get a cup of coffee. It must have just your 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 world must have just changed. Did you love that portion of show business? That's where Gavin McLeod came in because Gavin had been a celebrity for a long time, and Fred and myself, we kind of got we were young kids and we kind of got full of ourselves. And Gavin and Bernie Coppell sat us down and. They said, hey, look, this is how it works. Wow, uh-oh, somebody's sneaking <laughs> in there with you there, Mitchell. What's going on? Keep going. We're listening. Yeah. Go ahead. <laughs> okay, so Gavin kind of straightened us out about what's it like to be a celebrity and how to handle yeah. being famous. And that was he was really great at that because Gavin had been in the business for, you know, 30 years before that. So he was really, really wonderful. A couple of interesting elements about your character, which were unusual. It was such a popular character, Ted, that you actually, or Aaron Spelling did, or somebody did, decided to use your character on other TV shows, right? You not only appeared on other TV shows, you appeared as Isaac the bartender on other TV shows. That's unusual, correct? Yeah, and you know, we I would have fun with it. I directed Fall Guy, mm-hmm. and I remember I was directing Fall Guy, and we had a scene where the Fall Guy goes into a bar to question a bartender. And so we did this bit where I, I was the bartender that the Fall Guy, Lee Majors, uh, questioned. And so, you know, it was stuff like that. You could do some fun in-jokes yeah. for the audience. Yeah. We just lost Gavin McLeod. It was so sad a couple of weeks ago. I heard him say in an interview, Ted, that Tom Hanks's appearance stood out because it was his TV debut and you could just tell there was something about Tom Hanks, the actor. He radiated. He he jumped off the screen. You could just feel that he had something special in his future. Do you remember that that show? And was there anybody else like that? All these guests that came. Yeah. About? No. Yeah. As a matter of fact, we caught a lot of guest stars on their way up. So there was Tom Hanks. There was Martin Short. There was Billy Crystal, and you could see it. You you know. And I remember saying to Martin Short, I said, "Man." You are good. Yeah. You know, so you would see the ones that were coming along. Lonnie Anderson came sure. along then. Sure. And they, they, uh, Priscilla Barnes, those were their first uh, ventures into show business a lot of times. And sure enough, they went right on and did other wonderful things. And the other thing that our show did was we resurrected some of the old timers that had been around a long sure, time. Sure, sure. And I, I remember we had Howard Keel on, and he went on to do Dallas. He I, re- did I remember Dallas. Howard Keel, sure, yeah. Yeah, he, he played, did Kismet, he, he, yeah, and he did yeah. some other movies. Sure. Anyway, I, I'll never forget, he was on the show, and he did a scene, and the, the director said, cut, print, and Howard Keel went, mm. no. <laughs> and I said, I said, what's the matter? He said, that wasn't it. That wasn't it. I'm rusty. I'm rusty. And so about the middle of the second day, the director said, cut, print. And he went. (laughs) And I said, you're all right. He said, I got it back. I got it back, you know. And so then he went on and did Dallas. Yeah, sure. And he was, yeah, yeah, yeah. he was wonderful. So that was the thing about our show. We we uh, resurrected some of the old guard that you, you might have seen in some movies that hadn't worked in a while. And then we also pushed off careers that were up and coming. Were you a and li- Tom Hanks was one of those. Were you yeah. a little starstruck 
with some of these older veteran actors and actresses that came on the show? Or no, no? Never, 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 never. Because you take acting classes, and that's one of the things they teach you. Yeah. If you're starstruck, how are you going to be in a scene with somebody? <laughs> you right, know what I right, mean? Right, right. Then looking at the star that yeah. you, you know. Yeah. So we had Helen Hayes and uh, Haley Mills. I should have been starstruck with because <laughs> I remember her in the Parent Trap when I was a kid. Yeah. But she was so lovely in person, and she was with her sister and her dad, John Mills and and Juliet Mills. But Haley Mills was the one for me. Oh, Annette Funicello. Oh, that was the other one. Oh. Annette Funicello. But she was so gracious and so sweet. Uh, I wasn't Star Trek. Uh, uh, Star Trek. I wasn't starstruck. Yeah. But I really enjoyed the fact that as a kid, yeah. I got to meet my heroes. That's kind of how I approached it, I think, is that not, not so much being starstruck by uh, celebrities, but you're meeting your heroes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Right now, somebody, there's a lot of people in our audience saying, these are two Alta Cockers talking about people. <laughs> we, 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 yeah, they got a neck full and jello. Who the heck is that? Uh, let, me yeah. ask, let me ask you this. How important was the song? The song was such a huge, central part of the show. Uh, I remember doing an interview on our show with the guy who performed the Cheers song. And that, you know, Cheers became synonymous with that song. I think it was what Tom Jones or Jack Jones. I get him. I get him confused. It was Jack Jones. Jack Jones did our song. Yeah. The love and it was song. written. It was written by Paul Williams. Oh, yeah, sure. OK, so Paul Williams came to us. He says, you know, I, I, why I love this show is because I've been writing TV uh, thing songs and none of them hit. But Love Boat yeah. broke my record. Yeah. You, you know, he's a, it's the first one to take off. And you can't help yourself. When, once you hear it, you're just, you know, you're singing it the rest of the day, whether you like it or not. Yeah. You know. And, and, and to the people that think that Love Boat was shot on a, on a set, it was, it was a real cruise that I read that passengers, as I guess as extras, they paid thousands and thousands of dollars, right, Ted? To be no, 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 no. They, they paid to go on a cruise. Right. And then what they the cruise line did was they said, listen, they're going to be filming the show. Oh. So, so yeah. Because uh, the first time we did it, a couple of people complained. They said, look, we wanted to go on a cruise in there. Cables and cameras and these celebrities walking around. We don't want, you know, I want my money back. So after that, <laughs> the cruise line said, you can't get your money back. You're going to be on a cruise and they're going to be shooting the show. Well, what it turns out is after sure. this point, sure. a lot of them were on the cruise because of the television show. So what we did now, you have to think of this, Mitch. Yeah. When you do a television show and you have to pay extras that's hundreds of thousands of dollars. Right, sure. What we did on Love Boat is, if you wanted to be in a scene, they'd say, hey, you want to, you're lounging by the pool here. You want to be in the scene? And yeah. they go, yeah. yeah. They said, sign this release. You'd uh -huh. sign a release. Yeah. And they'd give you a lottery ticket. <laughs> okay? So you'd stay there. You have to stay there for the whole scene. Yeah. Whether you liked it or not, you said, oh, you agreed. You say, bro. But you got the lottery ticket, and at the end of the cruise, they did a drawing for a color television. Yeah. Okay, so 
instead of paying hundreds of thousands of dollars, they just paid one television set (laughs) in a lottery, (laughs) you know? So they saved a ton of money, but they had the look of, you Uh, know, gone with the wind here. What what is this, man? They got everybody in the world there. And then of course the people would go home and say, this is, this is the one I was on. You know, yeah. There's Donia Osmond. See, I'm, gonna, I'm standing in the chair, making you know. So there was that too. And Isaac might just mix him a drink. By the way, did did Ted ever mix a drink in his life up until that point? Did you never, <laughs> never mixed a drink? Didn't know. And if you watch the show, yeah, the first year I'm doing umbrella drinks. I'm doing mixed drinks. I'm yeah. I'm pouring out of a blender <laughs> into a thing and an umbrella. Uh, and then after the first year, then I went to bartending school and I got two degrees. I got a degree as uh, Isaac Washington and I got a degree <laughs> as Ted Lynch. You know, that's what they did for me. And, that then, was good. and, and by the way, you then you then convinced somebody to let you direct some of the shows. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Do you have mm-hmm. everybody asks all you guys this question? So I guess I'll be the million and first person to ask. Do you have a favorite love boat? episode and you can't use diane carroll and your kiss for 14 times you can't use that yeah one. yeah no uh do you want one that i directed or do you want one give me that one, of I, e- one of each okay the one that i love is i directed lynn redgrave Ooh. and she turned me on to going to london and getting an education at the royal academy of dramatic oh, arts nice she wrote a letter of recommendation for wow. me wow isn't wow. that sweet? Yeah, I mean, yeah. she was really a sweet lady. Yeah. And so that got me on my Shakespeare kick. Okay. And so I've got some shows. I got some plays that I've written that are Shakespearean themed plays on YouTube. So if oh. you go, oh, we'll to go YouTube, to we'll go to YouTube and check you out. Yeah. Okay. All type right. in my name. Okay. Then type in Shakespeare over my shoulder. Okay. That's one of my plays. And the other play is The Tears of Shylock. Both Shakespearean themed plays, but both came out of my relationship with Lynn Redgrave that's because nice. she turned me on to doing doing a lot of Shakespeare. That's nice. And uh, so that's directorially and acting wise. I went to high school with the Pointer Sisters. Did you know the Pointer Sisters? You ever heard of the Pointer Sisters? Would you stop? Of course. Well, listen. Who do you, you think you're talking to here? I'm not, okay. I'm not 16, Ted. Come on. You know, I thought I was talking to Doug Kramer because I went to <laughs> Doug Kramer and I said, I got an idea for the Pointer Sisters. And he said, Ooh, Ted, who are the <laughs> And so we, we got some 45s and explained it. But anyway, okay. I like that one because we went to high school. I did Macbeth with Anita Pointer. And, uh, oh. uh, you can't take it with you. I did that with, uh, no, Skin of Our Teeth. I did the Skin of Our Teeth with Anita Pointer. And I did Macbeth with Anita Pointer. That's very nice. And uh, so I wrote an episode with my writing partner, Gene Ford, we wrote this episode in which Isaac wants to be a, a singer, a rock and roll singer, and the point assistants are his background oh, that's singers. Great. That's great. Yeah, man, that's La- fun. Last- and I sing He's So Shy with La- them. Last question, and I'll let you go. And by the way, you're more de- Ted is even more delightful than Isaac, and I didn't think that that was even possible. I thought, <laughs> I thought, I thought Isaac okay, was the, 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 the... All right, was there an actor or two or three... 
that you guys desperately wanted on the love boat that wouldn't come on? No, I have one that I wanted on that told me they wanted to be on, but the producers got sidetracked. Okay. So Aretha Franklin wanted to be on the love boat. How how did Aretha Franklin not get on the love boat? boat. And I told them, and I said, listen, and they go, no, 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 you know. And then the other one was Lena Horne wanted to be on the love boat. (laughs) And these guys dropped the ball, you know, so I'm I'm really sorry that that never happened, you know. Oh, God. That that could have happened, but it never, never happened. Anyway. Terrific to chat with you. The name of the new new movie is blood pageant it will be out this week on all streaming services you'll see snoop dogg and stephen baldwin but you'll also see a face from your past who is just as i the word delightful just keeps coming into my mind oh thank you very much it's great to give you to hear now who was that person who was that female person in this thing let let me explain that to you (laughs) Let 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 me explain that let me explain that to you Yikes. I've been doing this podcast for now three years after 25 years on the radio, and she never showed interest once in, <laughs> in 28 years until she peeped her head into the door. She said, is that Isaac? Is that, that I'm Isaac? kidding. <laughs> All right. All right. I watched you every Saturday. Oh, oh well, thank you. I, thank you. I could have had Michael Jordan, sports podcast. I could have had Michael Jordan, Magic Johnson, Tiger Woods. I Who are have, those guys? I don't know those names. Uh, I, would have, I wouldn't have heard a peep from her, but she hears <laughs> Isaac from the love boat, and here she is. It's great. Wow, Congratulations on the new project. All the best to you, and let's visit again down the line. Ted, okay. Thank you. thank you so much, Mitch. Hey, hey, let's catch up again with Dan Black, the president of Zeke's Pizza. Dan, our family's back going out to restaurants. It seems like there's a wait everywhere we go. How's Zeke's Pizza doing? You feeling the hustle and bustle? Hey, Mitch. Yeah, we're the same. We're busy. We get busier by the day. People are happy to be coming out of COVID. They're going out and eating everywhere. And so, yeah, we're like most places. It's great to be opening up and we're busy. Do you have a guess? When everyone in your world can go full throttle and open up at 100% capacity? Yeah, most people, including Zeke's, are going to follow Washington State guidelines, which means June 30th is the last day. So by July 1st, uh, everybody should be pretty full throttle. Nice. And you told us about the new location in Bellingham, which opened Memorial Day weekend. How are the early returns and what's next to pop up for Zeke's Pizza? Uh, It's been great up there. We talked about it before. We thought Bellingham was really going to embrace Zeke's. They have. It's been busy up there since we've opened, so it's been super fun. Uh, And then Seward Park and Mill Creek are the next two coming. Seward Park and Mill Creek would be locations number what? Yeah, that's good. Uh, I'm losing track myself. 20 and 21. (laughs) No, you're not. 20 and 21. And is there a beer, a summer beer for the Black family? Of course, the members of the Black family that are of age and a summertime pizza that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, there is. We actually have a great beer with an interesting backstory. We have a lot of great women entrepreneurs in the Zeke system and Five of our franchise owners are women, and they actually got together and made a beer with Black Raven Brewing out of Redmond. Uh, so we have this really great, crushable, 
summer lager called Stellar's J. That's what I've been drinking. And then uh, our summer seasonal pies will start rolling out mid-July. So that's what we'll be ordering. Look, if you're a fan of Mitch Unfiltered and you like these podcasts and you'd like these podcasts to continue for a long, long time, and it's pizza or beer, great beer that you're craving, go to one of the great Zeke's locations, soon to be 21, or download the Zeke's Pizza app because Zeke's Pizza is homegrown in the Northwest. Un filtered episode 147 with my friend joe fan it's the month of joe he he covers the seahawks as well as anybody but then he found out that his job was drying up so everybody's been rallying to his defense he's been hosting shows on local radio stations now he's in cabo he's at mariners games it's the month of joe and it now continues here on episode 147. So this is what we call the other stuff segment, Joe. It's kind of like Hotshot Scott brings in sports and non-sports stories that, that interest him that we haven't, we haven't spoken about just yet on episode 147. You're playing the role of Hotshot Scott. So kind of the floor is yours. What, what is it that you'd like to discuss here on the other stuff? Say anything, anything on your mind? There are some fun things that, you know, you find good news. We like good news, right? Yeah. yeah. Uh, so there's this seven-year-old across the pond. Yeah. His name is Tom. And, uh, and he told his classmates one day <laughs> is that... This a, is this a joke? This sounds like the beginning of a joke. Tom the seven-year-old. Okay. Tom the seven-year-old yes. tells his classmates uh, that his uncle is Superman. And I think we all know kids can be cruel and they start making fun of dear old Tom. And his teacher hears it and says, Tom, it's wrong to tell tall tales. We don't do that here in this class. Yeah. And, and as this, this gets filtered back to his mom because you know when you're seven, basically everything that happens in class gets filtered to the parents. Yeah. And, uh, and dear old Tom's mum, M-U-M, as I'm seeing written in this, in this post, his mum is told, hey, your son is is telling some tall tales here in class. And like, we just don't want that to be a thing. You know, we, we want him to f- live in reality. And she calls her uh, brother-in-law, who happens to be Henry Cavill, uh, <laughs> who plays Superman currently How did I know that in all of the going. new DC movies. You, you thought it was a joke. You didn't uh, know where oh, it was going. I knew. I, I didn't know but, who it was, but I figured that the new actor, the new Superman. But there's, a, there's a picture yeah. of Tom in a Superman shirt uh, nice. walking, walking into school with his uncle. Sounds like somebody owes Tom an apology. How about yeah. that? How, how good is that? Like, you know, like when you're a kid, maybe at least when I was growing up, I mean, yeah, it's a different generation with you. I don't know yeah. what you, you said to, but you know, I told you so. <laughs> like, you know, like today it's like, oh, mic drop. Don't have to say anything. I'm so, but like, and when you're in grade school, it's like, I told you so. Me, me, me. All right, Joe, I'm going back and to Tom baseball. Tom got the best one. Go back to baseball. I'm going back to baseball. Jacob DeGrom got hammered. He got blasted. He got lit up like a Christmas tree in his last start. Did you see that? He gave up two runs in six innings on three hits, and his ERA jacked all the way up to 0.69, Jacob DeGrom. But here's the good news after he gave up those two big runs in six innings. It's, by the way, the first time all year that Jacob DeGrom has given up two runs in a start, which is amazing. Insane. Uh, Here's the best part of it. At the plate, he went one for two, so he's hitting 414 this season. How do you feel about pitchers winning MVP? That's my follow-up question. I mean, yeah, I could go on and on about how good he is, and he's been insane. Yeah. But that's an interesting question. 
it's happened because he only he only he only participates. It was Verlander the last yeah. time, right? Yeah. yeah. Once every uh, fifth day, once every sixth day, right? Yeah, I mean, you're there 30, well, 32 times a year. The first problem is the Mets have got – there's no discussion about that unless the Mets, like, win their division and, and, and win world championships. Which okay. they could win the division. I don't, I don't, Aren't I don't, they in I don't first? Follow, I don't follow it. I have no idea. I think the Mets are in first place. Okay. okay. I'm okay with it. In this case, I don't know because, you know, he, he's hurt and he misses starts every once in a while and he only throws six innings or seven innings. I don't know that I would make him the MVP, but I would certainly, you know, I, I, he's obviously the Cy Young in the National League and he's having one of the greatest seasons by a pitcher in the history of baseball. He's Tatis to, will be will be tough to beat. If yeah. Tatis doesn't get hurt, it's going to be Fernando Tatis. But if they win the NL East, a yeah. very talented yeah. NL East, yeah. they're four games up right now. They're forty and thirty-three at the time of this recording. So the one of the reasons I bring up Jacob Degrom on this episode one forty-seven, Joe, is it gives me a natural segue to talk about how everyone is focused on Jacob Degrom and the New York Mets and the year he's putting together. And very quietly, he's got a teammate on the same pitching staff who's got a 2.38 earn run average in his first 15 starts. And I feel like I have to bring this up. In 79 innings, he's allowed 57 hits, this guy. In 79 innings, he has struck out 82 guys, this guy, on the New his York whip is His whip is right at one. 1.03, I think. At this moment in time, no one's paying attention to the former Mariner hotshot prospect, Taiwan Walker, who is having kind of an all-star caliber start to his 2021 season. How about that? You, you thought that Taiwan Walker, you could put a fork in Taiwan Walker, didn't you? But he was yeah. good last year. He was really good last year. And so then it was controversial and they traded him to the Blue Jays. Then he's a free agent and it comes out his only offer was from the Mets. So, yeah, shame on the Mariners. I think it's an easy stone to throw. It's probably not being broadcast enough just because no one expected the Mariners to be good, so it's not like he's the missing piece to a playoff team, though they're better than expected, obviously, three mm-hmm. games over 500. Mm-hmm. But, yeah, they're, just, they're not going to get the scrutiny given what the expectations were. And when I say the expectations, I mean the lack thereof. They've also gotten away with it because Chris Flexen has been pretty darn good, and he's been a nice find for you. He was playing, pitching in Japan last year. So, but yeah, an oversight. You're on the clock. <laughs> you want to go Scotty Pippen? You want to go Kevin? I want Durant? to go either Scotty Pippen or the fight, the brawl in, in the the Mexican baseball league. Okay, because see, given I, that I, I'm in Cabo, you can't I, that steal. Was... You can't steal my. I I sent you these. T- you can't. You didn't even know about the brawl in the Mexican league until I sent you that. You can't. That's against the rules of Mitch Unfiltered. You can't steal. Well, I wasn't my privy to the rules. <laughs> you just asked me what I wanted to talk about, Go Mitch. Go ahead. Mitchie the Kid. Go ahead. Uh, you're right. I guess I need to know. The, do I need to know the team names? No, you don't need Does to know. Does it matter? No. All you need to know is that there was a Mexican baseball game, Mexican League baseball game, where a guy got plunked. Tell guy everybody. Got plunked it, guy got plunked in like the, like the meat of the shoulder. Right. And he and decides, you know what? That's enough. <laughs> Who knows if they have history? Maybe one guy said something about the other guy's mom. Don't know. Maybe they've been playing baseball together since grade school. We don't, don't know. know. Don't know. But he decided in that moment... Enough is enough, and he was going to snap. And so he runs the pitcher, and, and the, what's amazing, there are a lot of layers to this. Yes. <laughs> the announcers on this are so mellow the whole time. When we think Spanish broadcasters, we think, uh, we think, a, we think a Spanish broadcast 
on a soccer game goal. and someone scores a goal and it yeah. goes on for 45 course, seconds in full voice, yep. full throat. Yep. And, and it, this was like, oh, here he goes. Okay, he's going to do this. Guy winds up to throw his bat and it felt like halfway through like the windup of throwing his bat, like something clicked was like, I shouldn't and be maybe it this. didn't. I'm trying to give him the, the benefit of the doubt because if not, it was an embarrassing bat toss where it was like, this is bad news. I, I shouldn't throw my bat at this guy. And so, it, I mean, he throws and it looks like he misses horribly. He throws it down to the left uh, like I topped my drive uh, at Aldera. <laughs> and, and then he throws his helmet. And that, was, that oh. one I think he wanted to connect on. And oh. he throws it wide right. First of all, I mean, you don't need me to state the obvious, which is, come on, if you're going to go out and confront a pitcher, drop the bat. Yes. Drop the helmet and go be a guy out there. Go be a man out there. You don't, you're not throwing – you don't take a, a weapon with you, and you certainly don't throw a bat. So I, I'm in complete agreement with you. One of two things was correct. He either thought better of it in that instantaneous moment or – He's the world's worst bat thrower, and he should be demoted from the major from the from the baseball team just because of how bad the throw was of both the bat and the hat and the helmet. Two things. First of all, I want to have one thing I want to ask you, one thing I want to say. First of all, I feel terrible for the North Carolina State baseball team. Can we get them into the into the mix on episode 147? Yeah. God, North Carolina State, not known for its baseball prowess over the years. They go all the way to the College World Series, and I think they make it to the semifinals, the national semifinal round, where they're one win away of going to the national championship game of college baseball, and they're fourth to forfeit due to COVID exposures. So North Carolina State gets a call, and they're out. Feel really, really bad for the North Carolina State baseball team. And then... The other thing that I wanted to ask you was, and we haven't mentioned it because Scott and I talked a lot about it on what it would have been, 146P, the Frank Clark story. Have you had any emotions reading the story of him being arrested last Sunday with an Uzi in his Lamborghini? And then we find out through that investigation that he had been arrested on like March 13th for having weapons in California. Now he's facing... He's facing criminal proceedings in California, which is harsh on on guns. He's facing an NFL situation where he could be suspended by the league very easy uh, at the beginning of the season. Did you have any emotions as somebody who has watched Frank Clark very closely since he's come to Seattle? These are waters I feel uncomfortable treading into oh. a whole lot be- okay. because let me tell you why because it's it's easy to go down the path. You know, anyone who wants to come back at you can go down the path of. You can't relate to X, Y, and Z that X, Y, and Z player has gone through in his life. And I can't. I'm a privileged white dude from Bothell who, like, I, I, but even with that, I mean, this is a guy who has been in the league for a while and was really lucky to get the opportunity he got given the baggage he had coming out of Michigan and then gets trained, gets a big contract and wins a Super Bowl and he should know he's not larger than life. He should know that he is lucky to have gotten where he was. And I think that's one of the biggest things with athletes, not just Frank Clark, but this isn't a rarity. You see athletes make decisions all the time where you just think, how is it possible that they could be so dumb? 
and you just think, what kind of demons is this guy fighting? And I don't know if Frank Clark's battling demons. He might, and if he is, I wish they could get all the help he, he could possibly get. But it's hard for me to get past the feeling of how. How, how does that happen? You weren't here, Joe, or were you here when he was playing with the Seahawks? Were you covering I the Seahawks? I wasn't. Okay. I, I, was, okay. I was in the Bay Area when he was okay. drafted. Okay. I'm talking about when he left. Were you here when he left? Nope. The, his, the trade happened when I was okay. gone as well. Right. Because people, you, you know, it's pretty natural for Seahawks fans to now, many years later, say, okay, maybe the Seahawks knew something about oh, like whether they dodged he, a bullet. Yeah. yeah. Did they know no. that he wasn't behaving when he was here? Was he on the line? Was he on thin ice? And maybe that was a part of the reason why they traded him as opposed to giving him the big contract. You know, the conspiracy theorists are out and they want to know about Frank Clark. But it's a I think it's possible. Yeah. Teams are very wary of who they give those big deals to. I mean, you give that kind of money to somebody, you want to know exactly what you're getting. And yet, not just from a not from a player's like ability standpoint, but but even more so from who the person is. And yet they they drafted him. Yeah. Knowing everything that they knew. Sure. But drafting him and paying him a rookie yeah. deal yeah. and getting the advantage different. of those four years is very different than yeah. giving him the big bag. OK, the floor is yours to finish the show. Episode 147. My my co-host du jour, Joe Fan. It's the month of fan. He joins us from. From Cabo, Mexico, he's just about done, but he has some things he wants to say. Scotty Pippen criticized Kevin Durant after the the Brooklyn Nets took an exit from stage right from the NBA playoffs, not because of Durant. I think he went for like 49 one night and 48 the other night. And Scotty Pippen says he just hasn't learned how to play good team basketball just yet. And, of course, the last thing you want to do is take a shot at Kevin Durant because Durant will come back at you in, on in very, Absolutely. If we know anything about Kevin Durant is that he is the pettiest athlete in potentially <laughs> all of sports. This is a dude who got outed with burner accounts because he was going back at fans on his fake accounts. And he goes, you're right, they are my burner accounts. So now, you know what, I'm just going to do it on my own. I'm going to be on my own account. And I'm going to go at everyone from Scottie Pippen to – random whoever fan who wants to come at me and I'll go at them all day. I mean, he's an interesting cat. What there was another story like a couple of weeks ago that he took like a backup date on one of his dates with someone else oh, like geez. just in case that didn't go well. <laughs> he had a backup date lined up. Oh, no. Durant has has no more Fs to give. It's very evident of that. Anyways, this is the quote from Scottie Pippen via via GQ. Has he surpa- uh, surpassed LeBron of course speaking of Kevin Durant? Nah, he tried to beat the Bucks instead of utilizing his team. LeBron James would have figured out how to beat them. The same LeBron James who's now out of the playoffs because he didn't have AD and they lost to the Suns. Whatever. Uh, just context. If take, take it or leave it. KD is a shooter, a scorer, but he doesn't have what LeBron has. And Kevin Durant uh, jabs back with a knockout blow. Uh, didn't the great Scottie Pippen, also calling him the great Scott, Scottie Pippen is just beautiful because you're just setting yourself up for just the most just lethal haymaker here. 
Uh, didn't the great Scottie Pippen refuse to go in the game for the last second shot because he was in his feelings as coach drew up a play for the better shooter? Tony that, of Kukoc. Course, Tony Kukoc, that, of course, I think. a reference to the last dance when that came out very publicly yeah. and made Scottie look yeah. real bad. Yeah. Just just like our, our, our pal Tom, who brought in Superman, his uncle. Superman, his uncle. Durant also tweeted, this guy also wanted to enjoy his summer so bad that he chose to rehab during the season. <laughs> Scotty Pippen. It's <laughs> so good. I'm always here for Petty. And you know what's fun about this is when it's player on player crime yeah. is yeah. is you know you have players who they want their they want post playing careers. And one of the most lucrative careers they can find is when they get these big broadcasting jobs. Because I think a big kind of eye-opening is like a player goes to do something else. And like, oh, that's not the same contract I was dealing with when I was a player. But a lot of these players are getting paid a ton of money to be media folks. Mm -hmm. And that involves giving an opinion. And sometimes you give unsavory opinions and you get the backlash from players. And so it's fun as a media member when you have Jamal Adams who wants to come at Mr. Joe. It's very fun when you see a player, especially to as high a profile as Kevin Durant and Scottie Pippen. Scottie Pippen says something who he's probably not... You know, maybe he does have beef with Kevin Durant. He's probably just trying to be honest and 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 just give his take. And it's just beautiful when it turns into they're not immune to the counter punches now. And it's like when the media used to be the enemy for them, they are now the enemy. And that's <laughs> I get I get a kind of a, a cruel pleasure out of that. Joe Fan, ladies and gentlemen, he is currently with NBC Sports Northwest. He does a great job covering the Seahawks. He has announced that that job is ending at the end of July. There's no update to that, and you have no update for us on your next step, although he's been featured on local radio stations. I'm sure that's still going to happen, and here on Mitch Unfold, the next time you and I will speak will probably be training camp time on the Seahawks note table. You, you want to announce to the to the crowd that that's your favorite of all your projects, all the different plates. You're like that juggler in the air. You got all these different things in the air. You love the Seahawks note table with Brady and Mitch more than anything you do, right, Joe Fan? Right. I love Mitch Unfiltered. And on a serious note, there's a reason why we are recording this podcast while I'm on vacation in Cabo. Oh, so what's the reason? Because I enjoy it. I'm just I'm agreeing with you. This is a whole lot of fun. And it was uh, it was fun to to pinch hit and fill the big shoes of Hotshot Scott. I had a whole lot of fun. Uh, hopefully, you said the next time we speak is going to be in training camp. Hopefully, you know, I'm in the month of Joe. Yeah. I would like to to find a golf round with yes. with Mitch. Yes. And so yes. um we need to maybe expand your horizons and get out of Aldera and find another track that you would be willing to play, even though it would be a step down from the pristine of what you enjoy. And you remember, remember with with Jack Sigma yeah. uh, that you that you played. Uh, you played okay. You played okay. We're, we're not discussing that. We're, we're not, not discussing, discussing it. Okay. Yeah. Producer Steve will cut that out. <laughs> no, he won't. But what? But in the month of Joe, uh, uh, month of Joe, we'll play some golf. Yeah. We'll play some golf. Joe Fan, thank you, Joe. Appreciate it very much. Tons of fun. Thanks for the invite, Mitch. Episode 147, ladies and gentlemen, is in the books.